listen and understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dude. 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 Reno. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Hasta la vista, baby. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes podcast. Tonight, we have the Terminator extravaganza. This is John, and I am joined by my fellow cyborgs, the Legion of Dudes. Tonight, we have Mr. Adam Umack, Russell Latham, and Ken Morgan. How are we doing tonight, guys? Wonderful. Fantastic. Yes, we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Uh, We are about a week away. Uh, Well, actually, when you hear this episode... Uh, you'll be about a day away from the opening of Terminator Salvation, so we wanted to get everybody in the Terminator mood and kind of sum up the series, taking a look at the past movies, the uh, television show, all that good stuff. Uh, first, we'd like to remind you to visit legionofdudes.com. We have blogs and audio blogs and videos, and what are we up to recently? We have an audio blog on the Lost Finale which is interesting. There's a lot of varying comments. We hope to soon have Brad from Half Hour Wasted leave his version of a Lost Finale audio blog, which will be very interesting because he hates it. We <laughs> urge you to check out LegionofDudes.com for all that cool content. So we just, uh, we just put up a, an interview, not one of ours, an interview that was released by the producers of Green Lantern First Flight. We have an interview with director Lauren Montgomery. Oh, that's, very cool. That's Lauren was very now. nice. We met her at, um, at New York City for the Wonder Woman yes. uh, press deal, and uh, she was a very nice lady and did a good interview, so that stuff should be good. I know you guys are looking forward to the Green Lantern cartoon. Adam, right? Oh, absolutely. We're going uh, full tilt on this one. I mean, it's Warner Brothers Animation Department at its best, I think, from everything we've seen so far. But a heck of a cast, too. Michael Madsen is Kilowog. I, that's too cool for school. Very good. So keep an eye on legionofdudes.com for all that content. Send your comments to comments at legionofdudes.com. And you can also call the Skype voicemail at 516-468-7912. Give us a buzz anytime. Leave us your thoughts. And we will do our best to not forget to play it. So we're going to take a look at the Terminator series. I guess the best place to start is the original Terminator 1984 film. Um, written and directed by James Cameron, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Michael Bine, and Linda Hamilton. Any, any first impressions? Um, do you guys have any stories about the first time you saw Terminator? Did anybody see it in the theater? No. No, I don't even really remember clearly when the first time I saw it. I mean, I know I've seen it. I just really don't remember when the first time was. It was probably a, an HBO kind of thing, for, I'm sure, but I don't know. 
Oh, Ken, you never yeah, forget your first time. Nah, you know <laughs> what? I, a Terminator has is is fun and enjoyable. I did see T uh, two in the theaters. Remember that? But, but I I just don't have any clear memories of when I saw the first Terminator. For me, it was one of those on cable. My parents were real strict about the whole R rated movie thing, so. It was one of those nights like we were, my dad was out of town or you know out somewhere or late at work or something like that. It showed up on HBO back when HBO didn't show R-rated movies before 7 p.m. and uh, right. I was able to to see it and I just I loved it. It you know it just you know again being into all the you know Star Wars and Star Trek and you know all that kind of stuff you know to see something that was sci-fi but really set in the modern day and then involved time travel which I was always about the time travel so it it had me hooked. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same. I remember seeing it on, you know, on, on cable first. And, you know, it really blew my mind coming off Star Wars and then, you know, kind of falling into seeing the Terminator on cable and maybe expecting, like, the same type of sci-fi action. You know, it was really, it was really more of a horror sci-fi movie. And I remember being amazed that Arnold was the villain. You know, because at that point, maybe you'd seen a poster... You know, maybe you'd seen a promo on HBO, but it wasn't like you were watching 15 trailers on the Internet. You know, you really had no idea what you were getting into. And just seeing, you know, Arnold on all the posters and all the promos, you know, I just went in thinking he was going to be the hero. So that I remember that being shocking to me. Adam, do you remember the first time you saw it? No, I think I'm, I was with you guys. You know how like, they would replay like Predator or Commando on TBS Kind of like in the mid-evenings uh, times back in the late 80s. That's kind of when I caught it because 84, dude, I, was in, I wasn't even in preschool then. But, uh, baby. Um, I, <laughs> He's a baby. The only one I can say is I remember going to see uh, Terminator 3 um, with my buddy Jared and my other buddy uh, Jack in, um, in college. When we, <laughs> and it's like, well, Terminator 3 is coming out. Well, <laughs> I guess it would be stupid to not know what happens. I mean, we weren't really like thrilled to go see it i think we saw it more out of like geek obligation to go see it which is kind of the way i feel about this episode i just it's terminator is a weird thing because with all the stuff coming out about salvation john the fact that obviously the governor's not attached to it or anything like that i think that you're gonna get like kind of like what happened with star trek you're gonna get like a lot of the spirit of the terminator but other than like the the main terminator model i think that this movie is going to be kind of unrecognizable in the rest of the franchise. Rightly so, because of the technology. I've got no loyalty or allegiance to the, to the, movie, uh, the movie franchise. You know, like I, I would with the Star Wars or, you know, something else, though. But I'm looking forward to seeing Salvation at the same time, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I think it's definitely a timing thing. You know, I, I think seeing it as, like... 12 year old or whatever was definitely a different experience that that kind of ties you to it again just for the reasons i mentioned i mean it was very it was very different for for that age what was coming out for us you know I, and i kind of stumbled upon it and it was like amazing to me so does anyone want to take a guess at what it cost to make terminator 10 million not bad 6.5 million dollars it earned thirty-eight million in the United States and seventy-eight million worldwide. You can't even make a Jack Black movie for that much these days. <laughs> exactly, and the opening scene of the original Terminator, when they try to give you a glimpse at the, uh, you know, Judgment Day and after in the war, you really get a sense of <laughs> that it didn't cost too much money at the time. Um, if anybody's watched it recently, the the effects are pretty dated. 
the hunter-killer uh, machines look, you know, kind of like they're hanging on strings. Funny, because when you were a kid and seeing it, it to me it looked, you know, it looked awesome. I mean, it looked high dollar and, it, you know, it looked really good. And then, you you know, now you're, you're an adult and used to more current films and you're like, and it's not as good as I remember. You know, I was going to say I I I, um, I can't speak too much to T one, but you look at I look at T two today, and some of the fluid effects of of the that Terminator, you know, doing the shape shifting and just like especially the one where he's coming up from the floor, I'm like, wow, that wow, that doesn't look like liquid at all. That looks like just like you know stiff like stiff Plato stop motion almost. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, and and we'll we'll get to two in a minute. But two was like groundbreaking at the time. Right for the time, it, it definitely was. For now, right. not so much. Right, and one was mostly like stop motion and and uh, and things like that for the robots, and um, and certainly the makeup on Arnold when he's when they tried to show the you know inner workings of the cyborg underneath the skin, and you know when he pokes his eye out. Um, there's some really bad, uh, like prosthetic makeup and stuff mm-hmm. on Arnold's face, it makes him look like completely a different person. I, I don't have a source for this, but you commented earlier when uh, you couldn't believe Arnold was the bad guy. Well, apparently um, there was someone else who was very disappointed he was the bad guy. His mom wasn't too happy with it, uh, which was one of the reasons why <laughs> when they did two, he really had to be the he- had to be the hero. I also right. remember that Cameron, reading James Cameron, wanted to do the the liquid metal shape shifting Terminator for the first one, but technologists wouldn't allow it to happen, so they had to like rework it to the way they want way to what we got. Yeah, yeah, and another another close uh, miss, <laughs> or uh, you know something that could have happened. Um, originally, James Cameron wanted O.J. Simpson to be the Terminator. <laughs> And he had decided that he was... appropriate. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, he didn't think he could play a villain. He thought he was was considered too nice a guy at the time. He was found not not guilty. God, maybe he is a good actor. (laughs) Um, So they went with Arnold. And Arnold was originally supposed to be Kyle Reese's character. And they kind of switched things around. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. But he just... it, it was kind of weird because it was, like you said, John, it was almost like a horror flick because, you know, here it is, you've got two people running from, you know, what essentially is a monster and how, he, you know, they can't seem to kill him, you know. So it's, it, it alludes a lot to the, you know, the, the Halloween franchise and the Friday the 13th franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street, Elm Street franchise, which I just hadn't, hadn't quite got there yet. But, you know, where it's, you know, kind of the unstoppable killing machine that, that's coming after, you know, folks and, and killing whatever's in its way. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I thought was cool with that movie was, you know, obviously the time travel aspect of it, but that, you know, they added a little bit of realism to it where how do you find, you know, somebody in the in the past and how they pulled out the phone book and there were 13 Sarah Connors and, or, you know, seven or how many ever there were, and he's just kind of systematically going through each one, you know, killing, you know, killing them to try and get to the one he's really after. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting twist on it. And you know, I did want to I did want to talk about the casting um, in each of the movies. And Arnold Arnold is perfect at walking around like a robot and having an expressionless face and, and tone. <laughs> and I wonder if <laughs> he was trying or if that was his <laughs> skill level at that time. I'm really I'm I'm coming off as as being facetious, but I'm really not. <laughs> you know, no, I know I, what you mean, though. And it kind of became the standard. I mean, let's face it. Everyone that's played a Terminator since then is playing Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Terminator. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're, they're just trying to move that, 
you know, in that robotic way that, that he really had down. I mean, when he walks up on the Sarah Connor house that isn't the Sarah Connor that he's looking for, and he, and he crushes the toy uh, truck in the driveway, which becomes a theme in, like, all the movies. You know, I mean, he's just, he is a, he is a robot at that time. And he's Sarah Connor, you know, and he <laughs> breaks the door open and starts, you know, pumping her full of lead. Um, I mean, it's perfect. Also, who can, who can forget, you know, an early appearance by Mr. Bill Paxton, who became kind of a staple in the James Cameron verse for, for quite some time and appearing in a bunch of his movies. Right, right. When uh, that's the that's the naked Arnold scene, right, with the punks. Yeah, he, he has that, that punk spiky mohawk hair or whatever, <laughs> and they get into that exchange. And Michael Bond, I think, does a fantastic job. There are some great scenes when he's explaining things to Sarah while they're on the run. They jump in the car, and he's kind of running through really fast, like, the history of what's going on. And I really liked, and it's one of the things you wonder about, you know, he throws in the little bit about the older models with the plastic skin. You know, they were real easy to spot. And, you know, that's going to come in big, apparently, in, in Salvation. And you wonder how much of the story Cameron had in his head or, or getting ready to go, or if that was just kind of like a throw-in line that they just ended on building, you know, ended up building on later on with the different models that they came up with and, and everything like that. Now, for Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton in this movie is, is kind of annoying to me. Do you guys feel one way or the other about her, about her role or her... Um, I don't think it was her performance. I think it was just the kind of way they portrayed Sarah in this movie. The 80s hair um, just kind of like totally masks over everything for me. <laughs> yeah, she... she I, agree, I agree with what you're saying. She definitely, you know, I think maybe it's what they were going for, that she's just kind of like a carefree, like, 19-year-old and totally not ready for any of this responsibility and totally not the person that she's going to end up being. Right, I think that's the idea because I mean, especially as we go to the the, the Terminator Two, um, not even thinking about the, the TV series yet, but you see that change clearly, you know, in her because I mean, she she's a waitress or something, isn't she? She's not even, isn't that what she was yeah, in, in this first one? Yeah, and, and yeah. she doesn't know anything more than her life that's in front of her. But literally, her whole entire world is turned upside down, and on many different levels. And you really see the transformation when you get to the uh, to the second film. And and I I mean physically as well. I mean she really you know busted her butt trying to you know get in shape and really you know work out and get physically fit because she wanted to look like she was preparing for a war and and she did that. I wonder if two was always in the plans. I've never heard about that. I mean I guess this was a bigger hit than they ever imagined it would be. So I think Cameron definitely left him the open to continue the story, but it could have just been a standalone. Whereas, you know, if, if Terminator 2 never came out, you would definitely be left feeling like, you know, is Sarah even going to be able to do this? You know, there's really no, I mean, yeah, she comes through in the end. I mean, you could definitely argue for her there. But the, you know, the leader that's, that she's supposed to become definitely doesn't show up until 2. And I don't, think, I, don't yeah. think it, I don't think it's meant to. We're not meant to see that from her in this, in this movie, in the first one. Right. So does the Terminator series have like a figurehead? Added aside from Cameron initially, like, you know how, like, Star Trek has Gene Roddenberry, Star Wars has George Lucas, like, after, after two, is it pretty much like uh, a movie studio, like, dare I say, franchise, or is it still someone's, like, ongoing vision? Like, does Cameron still have his hand 
in no, a, in no, any way. I, I think, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I'm free, I believe it is a studio property. It's studio owned. Cameron was just director. Now that said, I believe like McGee for this new movie, he spent some time with Cameron trying to get his vision down, uh, create, it, but still make it his own. But I think in the end, it's a studio property, property, and they can pretty much do what they want with it. Yeah, it's um, you're absolutely right. It, it's a studio property. Cameron refuses to, you know, quote include the third movie in the continuity. He pretends number three didn't exist. And McGee did sit down with him and kind of get his blessing about how he's going to go about doing the war and Judgment Day and, and things of that nature. So I guess Cameron's back on board, which is which pretty cool, because three, he definitely was not. I don't want to jump ahead, but since you brought it up, so does, does three count when we look at the history of this new movie, or is it one, two, and now Salvation? <sighs> I think three counts. Yeah, three counts. And you know what? The television show did a lot to kind of validate three. Now, I believe that the TV show will sit between two and three, correct? Yeah. Yes, and I think it, it and, did, like, bridge the gap and make a few things make sense in three. And, you know, obviously yeah. I haven't seen the new one yet, but maybe, yeah, Russ, maybe you could talk about how the, um, the TV show tied that in a little bit. Yeah, you know, the, the, one of the things in the, in the third movie, I mean, not, like I said, we'll, we'll get there not to jump too far ahead and we'll talk about the TV show, but real quick the, the, as what ties it all together, the, one of the things that the third movie had was you kind of find the faith that Sarah Connor where she has cancer. And that's a, a big issue in the, in the TV series where it comes about that she, was, she finds out that she was supposed to have it or she got cancer and that's how she ultimately died. So there's this, there's this big fear in the show where she you know, is constantly, several times she's gone to the doctor to find out if she has cancer and if so, what kind, you know, to try and be preventative with it. And so that's kind of like this dangling plot thread from the third. Then you also have some stuff that kind of dangles from the second one as far as their you know, training in South America, you know, south of the border and, you know, some of the interactions they have with there. So there's a lot of little things that tie it together. I mean, when the show, when the show first starts, she's back to being a waitress again. So it, again, it kind of ties back to the first one. So the, they've done a really good job, I think, in, in trying to, to wrap everything together. But then they also do stuff that totally, you know, screws up, you know, the timeline from there forward. And, and like I said, we'll talk about that in the, when we get to the TV show. Now, one, one major point in the first movie that, that we should touch on a little bit is the fact that we find out that Kyle Reese, sent from the future by John Connor, is actually the father, you know, he fathers John Connor in the past. So, you know, some people look at this as, you know, it's time travel and it probably is kind of like a continuity error in planning or... You know, was there a different version of John Connor in the future, and now they've created a new version with a different father? You know, how, how do you guys look at somebody from the future coming back in time and being the father of, of John? Oh, you mean for this new movie, or what do you mean? No, this is in the original Terminator. Right, okay. Kyle Reese is sent back to the past. Mm -hmm. Now, Kyle is sent by John, so right. John exists in the future. Yes. But now he... Mm -hmm. Is the he's he's found out to be the one who is the father of, of John Connor. Kyle is. Kyle is correct. So, in other words, the, before this happened the first time, how would John exist? Well, all I can say is, to me, it's I hate to start mixing my TV shows, but to to quote Lost, whatever happened happened. That's just the way it always happened that way. 
you know, I mean, the only way it could be changed, if, if you really think about it, if the Terminators really wanted to go back in time and change something, they didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was kill Kyle Reese before he left. You know, they were they were focused so much on uh, on Sarah Connor. They they didn't had they known who the father was, they would have just killed Kyle in in, in their time without going back in time. And then then that would have been a paradox. That would have been a problem. Uh, I, the way I see what you're saying, but in my mind, there is no first time around. That's just the way it always was. <laughs> right. You know, the, the, you know, the, there is no first time. You know, if you look at, at our at our at our timeline, Kyle shows up from the future, and then when we get to that to that point where he leaves, he he'll, he'll his personal time will bring him in the back where he'll die, and ap- after you know, conceiving John. But that's his personal timeline. He 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 was always in the past from the future. He always fathered him. You know, there is no first time where he wasn't there to begin with. Right, and and you know the, the, we did talk about a lot about time travel uh, recently with Lost wrapping up for the season and everything, and it really makes for a lot of uh, open areas for more stories because most of the comics with the Terminator brand include jumping back to the past between points that have happened in the story already you know so it leaves so much open for converging timelines diverging timelines changing things that have happened in the past so then you're not really messing with continuity you're creating a new continuity um so that's that's a that's a big part of of terminator and so it wraps up with sarah pregnant traveling to mexico and we see her picture taken by a young mexican boy um, and that is the picture that is a John or Kyle in the beginning uh, who's holding the picture. I guess it's Kyle. Kyle, yeah. Right. And, th- and that picture is kind of like a, another returning theme. Um, and we see that taken at the end of, of the first movie. Um, and the credits roll as the, as the Jeep disappears. And so as we are left to believe, you know, Sarah will be hiding out in Mexico and, and training John, after he's born, to you know, to take on the the tasks that the future holds for him. So all in all, I mean, it's it's kind of silly to review this movie at this point, but you know, it's a <laughs> it's it's considered a classic in, in in science fiction and certainly a cultural, you know, very very iconic culturally, and it kicked off the series. Any you guys have any comments before we move on? No, no, no. very good. good. Nice. Okay, so in 1991. I guess seven or eight years later, we get Terminator 2, commonly known as T2. Again, written and produced by James Cameron, starring again Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton. This time we have Edward Furlong as a young John Connor. And we have Robert Patrick as our uh, new Terminator, the T-1000. Um, and again, this, this movie kind of hit me the same way as the first one, whereas... Now, after seeing the first one, I expected Arnold to be the bad guy. So they kind of pulled the bait and switch on you again. And Robert Patrick ends up to be the uh, bad Terminator, if you will, um, who's going after Sarah and John this time. Um, Did you guys see this one in the theater? This one I did, yes. twice. Yeah, this was kind of like the huge blockbuster of the year. Let's see if I can come up with some numbers for you. So while you're looking, I think this is the one that really made it into the franchise that it is today. I mean, you know, it was a good movie. Terminator was a good was a good movie, but if this movie didn't get made for a reason, we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about it today. We wouldn't have a TV series. And so, you know, it's this is the one that made it viable as a I think as a as a 
as a marketable, as a property, as a sequel-worthy property, as a franchise, if you will. Just to kind of put into perspective what a huge hit the first one was and what they had planned. So the first movie was made on $6.5 million. Arnold Schwarzenegger was paid between 12 and $15 million for his role in Terminator 2. The movie... He got double the original budget of the first movie. Yes. just his salary. That's correct. All right. Just to, just to make it clear. <laughs> and it was... Probably not a good point either. Right. Yeah. It made $100 million. The movie was made for $100 million, I'm sorry, which at that time was the most expensive movie ever made. Um, it earned $204 million in the United States. It was the highest grossing film of 1991. So it made double its budget just in the U.S. before distribution internationally or home video or whatever. Right. They estimate a 434% increase, which is a record for a sequel. Um, so it was certainly a hit. And, and I think... You know, right off the bat here, now that they had a success on their hands, you can see the tone change a bit. I mean, it's still a very violent and, and a very intense movie, but there's still, you know, that moment when Schwarzenegger steals the clothing from the bikers in the bar, and he comes out and they hit the bad-to-the-bone music. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just kind of like it, it's a tone-changing moment that really kind of set the stage for, for what's to come. Uh, there was definitely more comedy in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. The whole, you know, you have to do whatever I say, stand on one leg scene. And, uh, right. you know, definitely more comic relief. And also, just that's that in general, like, he wasn't killing for killing's sake. Like, you know, John, young John had him, like, you know, no, no killing any, any humans. Like, he wouldn't let him kill anybody. So that, that was toned down. And of course, you know, he's still the Terminator, the T-1000, to pick up the slack there and, and kill he did. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we could talk about that, too. I mean, I think Robert Patrick, you know, we, we talked earlier about all the Terminators after Arnold played Arnold playing a Terminator, and Robert Patrick really did. I mean, he had the movements down. He had the dead, you know, the deadpan delivery and the, you know, the, the, the no facial expressions. I mean, even when he takes off in those, like, ridiculous sprints chasing, like, you know, vehicles and stuff, he's just got yeah. that dead straight look on his face, and he's moving his arms straight up and down and his legs straight up and down. And I think we'll get to Lim Linda Hamilton, but this is like Robert Patrick's movie to me. I mean, sure. you don't see him after that point and not think Terminator. Right. I, I, I agree, and... I commented before about how like these state of the art graphics for the for the the fluid uh, the liquid metal they look dated today, but I, I will say I think they made a great use of it. I mean they really used it, that potential that that concept of liquid metal in this Terminator to the best they could between the, the shape shifting, taking different appearances, to creating these different weapons. They they really right down to using the floor as its camouflage. I mean they they really ran with that concept and. Didn't let anything hold hold them back as far as you know how they were they were going to uh, to utilize that element. Yeah, hey, that's a nice bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. And spe you know, I think Edward Furlong actually does a pretty good job in this movie. I mean, I think he's like twelve at this point, and you know, he he really had that rebellious kid down. You know, that they, they start off with him in the uh, in the garage when he's got the Guns N' Roses blasting and he's kind of fixing the motorbike and the step-parents are yelling for him and, you know, he's just kind of blowing them off and everything. I mean, I just bought it, you know, for, for a kid actor in a, in a role. I, I, I just bought the whole, um, his whole uh, attitude. And Linda Hamilton certainly took a step forward in this movie as well. I mean, as we mentioned a little bit before, I mean, she got herself into, like, phenomenal shape. And she was actually the one who suggested... She was married to James Cameron at this time. Yeah. 
and she yeah. was the one that suggested that that Sarah should be nuts. Obviously, I, I guess they might have had her in jail, possibly in the original version, and then she um, she suggested that she should be crazy in like a mental institution, and she had a large part in molding the character for this movie. Um, which there was some great scenes in that asylum, if you want to call it. Oh, there was some great great moments in there. I, I yeah, loved that's... I loved her reaction, look of fear when she saw Arnold come around the corner. She doesn't know why he's there yet. She just she just knows. Oh my God, he's coming for me. It's the days here. And and she really sold it to me, that that right. that terror. Absolutely, and and you know the slow motion effect and stuff. And she's kind of like running from the guards for her life. And then Arnold comes out of the elevator, and now she has to like slam on the brakes, and mm-hmm. she kind of like skids out on the yes. floor and everything. Yes, I mean she, has, she hasn't seen John yet at this point. She doesn't have a chance to know that he's there or he's he's with them or nothing. Right. John kind of snaps her out of it, and then Arnold delivers the line. You know, come with me if you want to live, which of course is Kyle's line from the first movie. And and if you see the trailers, it will be Kyle's line in this new movie. Right. Young Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely some repeating themes like the you know, the things being crushed by like a foot of a terminator and uh come with me if you want to live and a couple of other lines. What I really liked was they you know, there's a big gap of time between one and two, but you know she went to Mexico you know, you know she has the knowledge now, and now she shows up in this movie, and she's like this totally trained soldier. She gets herself the paperclip. She knows how to pop the cuffs. Mm-hmm. You know, when she gets the keys from the guards, she's breaking a key off in the lock so they can't follow her through the door. You know, it really just, I thought it was really well done. Like, I really believe that this person has gone through, like, intense training, and she's truly you know, psychotic about what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Not, not only that, but you also can tell that she has been, at least for the time that she was, she had him before the, the state took him or whatever, she had been training Connor to become the general, the leader he's going to be, because here he is fixing the motorbikes, and can hack into an electronic lock, and he has all these skills that any 12-year-old boy probably shouldn't have, um, but, but she has been giving him as much knowledge and training that she possibly can, because that's all she's doing. Yes, she's preparing herself, but more importantly, she's, she's learning it so she can pass it on to him so he can be ready to lead the resistance. Young John yeah, Connor was skimming ATMs before it was uh, a big news item. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, he's the one who hacks into uh, the company you know, with, yeah, uh, Cyber with Dyson. Cyberdyne, yeah. Yes, yeah, I This is one thing... It never bothered me before, but when I just rewatched these three movies to, to get ready for tonight, it really struck me that so badass in Terminator 2, and then the next storyline should be the television show. And it's not that she's not badass in the television show, but it's definitely toned down. You know, she's back to being a waitress. She's more of, I don't know, it comes off as like just making sure her son doesn't get into any trouble or get noticed rather than, like, that real militant attitude. And and I know they address in the show that she wants to kill certain people, but then she just really can't bring herself to it to stop the future events from happening. But, like, the Terminator 2 Sarah, she definitely would not have thought twice. I don't want to, you know, read too much into it. You know, how much of it is just, well, you know, fifteen years or however long has passed between the the, the T two and this and this TV show. But I think she, even her little her monologue at the end of Terminator Two shows that she's changed a little. I mean, now that they've destroyed all remnants of the original T T eight hundred and the new one, um, she doesn't know what the future going to hold. You know, she's been trying to get ready for something, but she doesn't know if it's even going to happen now. 
So over the years between T2 and wherever the show picks up, you know, any number of things could happen. Not that she's softened, but maybe she's trying to develop a normal life for for her and John. Still stay vigilant, but now it's not as a it's not as much of a certainty as it once was. Right. One thing that I I should have mentioned before uh, we finished episode one was that a deleted scene in episode one, the first movie, actually shows Cyberdon Systems people finding the arm, which pops up you know, hugely in this movie. And right. when we go and we see Miles Dyson, and um, I-, I thought a really cool part was when he's getting his access you know, to the vault, so to speak, and, and, and the guy says, do you know where they found it? And he says, you know, I was told not to ask. And then they kind of open yeah. up those vaults, and uh, you, know, you have the arm from the T... 800 and the uh and the computer chip um so they did they, they, that was originally planned to to uh be in the end of the first movie to kind of tie that in but i don't I don't think it was needed i mean it would have been cool but I, I think everybody gets the message you know you know as soon as you see that in the second movie yeah um, one of the things for me with the second movie was i remember seeing the first trailer for it and this was you know pre-internet pre you know everything as far as spoilers go and the only way you really found out about stuff coming up was if you happened to see it on the news or some sort of fan magazine. And I wasn't really big into the fan magazines and stuff. So I remember me and a friend of mine rented a video game, or not a video game, we rented a movie, and one of the trailers on the movie was, and it was like the first, you know, even before the theaters had it, it was like the super teaser trailer that was over a year in advance. So this was like, you know, early summer night of 1990. And I can't remember the movie we watched, but... Anyway, it, it just showed, you just kind of showed the factory, and it showed all the, you know, the parts and the heads moving along and everything. And I think then they showed Arnold's face, and then the red light came up on his on his eye, and it just, like, you know, the sides of the screen slammed together, and it just said T2, you know, summer 91 or something like that. And it was just like, we our jaws dropped, because we're, you know, this is the first we're even hearing of this, is watching this, you know, early, you know, VHS trailer, and we we're just like, holy crap. Wasn't that a nice time when you go to a movie and you didn't know what trailers you're going to see? And that's going to be the first time you're going to find out what's coming the next yeah. summer or whatever. I mean, you don't have that anymore. That's gone. It really is. I've seen way too much of Salvation already. Yeah. And, you know, even like, even the, we'll talk about this when we get to the TV show, but I've always been angry that I shouldn't have known that Cameron um, in the television show was a, was a robot, was a Terminator until I watched the pilot, but you know, the promos and everything, oh, that, that one ad they put out there was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been a great, holy crap moment when she takes the bullets for him in the classroom in the pilot. Yeah. But I guess it's marketing and it's probably people that are way smarter than us that make the decision. So it's the problem. They're not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to ask, uh, maybe Russell now in in Terminator 2, Russ, when they go to the desert and they meet Enrique, you know, with all the weapons and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the same character that makes her the fake IDs and everything in the television show? The guy that racks them out? I think so. It was definitely like a similar character, um, yeah. but I couldn't remember, and I didn't get a chance to watch the, the episode again. Um, I, th- I think so, but I can't remember his name. But if not, then it's somebody that was probably closely affiliated with that group or something like that. Right. There's something else that they definitely did to tie the, all of the movies and the TV show together. Yeah. And then, of course, we get uh, Arnold is now Uncle Bob. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, again a little bit of the humor that they throw into that was thrown into this movie that you didn't get too much of in the first one. I love the we're, we're going backwards a little bit now, but I love the opening 
when they show you the war in this movie, it's so it's so much better visually than when they show you the war in the original movie. Yeah. They've really come so far, and you get that great scene where the Terminator kind of crushes the skull with his foot and looks back mm-hmm. and forth like he's scanning the area. I mean, that's just like, oh, my God, I need to, I need to see this war, like, in full. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the thing. You know, we kept watching these movies, and, you know, you kept seeing little hints and glimpses of what the world was like after Judgment Day, but we never got there. And so, you know, when we talk about the third one, that's, that's one of the things that I, I appreciated with that one. But I second one, just, like I said, being completely blown away, sitting in the theater watching it, because this was like a huge, big blockbuster, super action, crazy stunts, crazy effects, you know, almost like the first, you know, you know, they've all, you know, this is like pre-Michael Bay, you know, where, you know, where he, he's doing it. You know, this is James Cameron doing Michael Bay before Michael Bay. And the way they use the, the you know, the, the motorcycle chase and Arnie, you know, flipping around the shotgun with one arm, you know, with one arm and firing it and the helicopter chasing the truck and all that stuff. It was just so over the top. And, you know, I can't really compare it to a movie that I'd seen prior to that. You know, of that scale that had just these crazy over-the-top effects and these crazy over-the-top stunts that just pulled it off so well. Right, and and it was still rated R, which, you know, that's important to add because any movie that comes close... I mean, the closest thing to this movie now is, like, Transformers. You know, like, in terms of, like, the scope of the explosions and, like, the huge machines and everything. And, And that's just so popcorn which we're going to get to Terminator 3 in a minute, which the tone continues to go in that direction. But Terminator 2 still had enough of the, not to put everything on that violence is so important, but it had enough of that realistic rated R content, you know, that made it interesting and not just a throwaway summer action movie. Again, with great, you know, great plot and great acting, which is like stuff that we're not getting in these big summer movies right now for the most part yeah what i remember too the the whole liquid metal you know the t-1000 was really a refinement of what they did in the abyss i mean the abyss was like almost mm. the precursor for the effects work that they did in t2 because right. that was the big effect shot in the abyss if you, if you guys have seen that yep. where the the water creature kind of you know works its way through the facility and it takes the you know this alien entity or whatever takes the form of water and then the face you know as it's staring at was it Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio? And you kind of see her face in the water, and then he turns to Ed Harris and the same thing, and then it all, you know, kind of kind of disappears. But I remember when they were making it, that was one of the things they, they mentioned was, you know, this is a process that ILM had started with the Abyss, and then they refined and, perfe- well, at the time, perfected for, for T2. Yeah, I'm remembering really that now when you're saying well. that, yeah. Um, but, 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 oh, one thing I love... Um, <laughs> I love the moment where it's right at the end and, and they're, it, it, they're getting hunted in the, um, I guess it's a factory, and the, the Terminator is disguising itself as Sarah. Yeah. I, I thought that was just a great, um, it was a great little twist. I just didn't see it. It's like something that, I, I don't know, for some reason, it, I, I would see myself now expecting that, but it caught me by surprise you know, when I watched it the first time. Because he hadn't done, I mean, he, he did do some shape-shifting previously in the movie, but I just didn't expect it at that time. I thought that was a good moment. All right, you know what? At this time, we're going to try to get our buddy Ziggo on the line. Uh, Ziggo is a co-host of the Comic Tube podcast, and he is like, if we're like Terminator nerds, he's like super cyborg Terminator nerd. 
Um, so we're going to grab him for a couple minutes and uh, see if we can get some views on some things. No, I've been talking to him. Hello? Say go. Hey. It's Johnny M, man. You're on with the Legion of Dudes. Awesome, awesome. Who else is on the call? We have Russ and Ken right now. Oh, oh it's a small, small little group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the yeah. dudes, it's kind of a small, uh, small gathering. <laughs> awesome. So we're doing our Terminator show, and we knew we uh, there was only one place to go for backup. Yeah, yeah, thanks. But um, uh, if, if anybody that's is not listening to Comic Tube right now that is into Terminator, definitely check it out. They're doing like, uh, you know, we just did the first two movies in about a half hour. They're spending an hour and a half or so on every movie, and they're really tearing them down, and they're doing a great job, and I'm enjoying them a lot. So definitely check out Comic Tube. The website is comictubepodcast.blogspot.com what happened was I've been switching servers on and off so for a while it's going to be a little glitchy I switched from Lipson to Hipcast and then from Hipcast back to Lipson so I'm waiting for the feed to get it's complicated gotcha so go to Uh, iTunes and subscribe to it (laughs) yeah no that's the thing it's that iTunes is being very glitchy with it right now. I'm hoping they'll get back to me because I just released a Terminator 3 review along with my Wolverine Origins review, and um, it's going to be problems so that people can update. So hopefully that'll be done by the end of the week. Sweet. Okay, so we just we had a little discussion about the first two movies. Awesome. I would, yeah, yeah. We we pretty much <laughs> they're, they're great movies to review because everybody loves them. But we thought for a, for a little bit of an in-depth look, how about a little Timeline 101 to start us off? Can you give us some of the major years and divergence and maybe some of the continuity errors or questions in, in what happened? Yeah, oh, definitely. All right, where to start? Actually, I got a little notebook right here. I wrote some stuff down for you guys. All right, uh, Timeline 101, I guess. All right, obviously the big, 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 Date the first date from the first two Terminator movies. Judgment Day happens in August 29th, 1997. That's right. like the first Judgment Day date, and then from there the war continues. Uh, that's like the the first timeline, I guess, for the first two movies. The war continues till 2029, and in 2029 is when they start sending people back. In 2029 is when um the Skynet defense system gets smashed. And that's okay. the reason, I don't know if you guys said that in the first two movies, that's the reason why they start sending people back in time, because the, their defense system got smashed and they had to send people back in time because they were losing. They pretty much lost the war, the, ro- the robots. The first timeline, although uh, I know I'm going to sound like a like a Terminator version of the Trekkies, but uh, there's a little bit of a, a continuity error that, it's just a little error, but in the first Terminator movie, Kyle Reese said that 10 years from now, a war is going to happen. And from 1984, that meant that Judgment Day would happen in 1994. Right. But in the second movie, Sarah mentioned 1997 without, you know, knowing that the second Terminator came through. So that confused me a little bit, but eh, it's just a regular movie error, probably. Let me, let me ask you this. I, 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 we were talking okay. about... Um, you know uh, the time loop involving Kyle Reese a little bit is John Connor's clearly John Connor's mother is very well known, which is why they need to go to try to kill Sarah Connor. But his, is his father a closely guarded secret, or did, like did, did Sarah ever tell John? Because I'm thinking if the if the Terminators really wanted to take out John Connor by by killing his parents, they should have just stayed where they are and killed Kyle before he got sent back. Um, well, John knows. 
but, because but, Sarah said that in the tape at the end of Terminator 1. Okay. And, and John clearly mentioned it in Terminator 2. He told, he told um, let's call him Uncle Bob Arnold, as I like to call him. Uh, he told Arnold, you know, I'm going to meet my uh, in the desert scene when they were under the car. He said, yeah, you know, I can't wait to meet my father when I'm 30. And then Arnold knew about it. He said, oh, you're, you will know your father. So, you know, um, John knows. So, um, all right, so... Well, I'm guessing I'm guessing Arnold from T2 knows because John probably gave him that knowledge. Right. The older John. Well, but I'm saying to the machines in general, they don't know who John's father is because again, they could have just killed Kyle before he went back. All right. I I don't want to say anything cuz let's just say I read an accidental an accidental spoiler about Salvation and um just watch Salvation. That's that's all I'm going to say. I read a teeny spoiler. And that, that's probably giving it away. But. Okay, well then let's yeah, just not say anything good. else. So, okay. So, it sounds like maybe my question is is being addressed? Yeah. Okay. Good enough for me. Now, what was the other um Ziggo, the other error you you guys were speaking about? I don't even know if it was an error, but it was the it was the age when Yeah, John when Connor 2 happens. Right. A lot of people get confused at the date of two simply because Edward Furlong was 13 years old when he played the role. But if you look at the scene where the T-1000, like the movie came out um, July 2nd or July 3rd, 1991. And so people think that the movie takes place in 1991 and John is 13 or, you know, it's weird. But if you look at the scene when the T-1000 Robert Patrick's character is on the computer, um, right. and he's looking up the names. It says right there, name John Connor, date of birth, February 28th, 1984, age 10. So it says that his age is 10 and it's 19, and he was born in 1984. So if you count 10 forward, then it's 1994. Right, but then, then later on, where's the line where he says he tried to kill me when I was 12? Um, so there's, yeah, I think that was, <laughs> there's, there's I think kind of some sketchy continuity. Writer. Yeah, so that, yeah. That, was just, that was just a mistake. Error in, okay. In Terminator Three. That was an obvious mistake from from Jonathan Mostow. So, which is which you know any any human can make. I mean, it was just a, a regular error, but at the same time, people who are speed fans like me is like, ah, why'd you do that? I'm now. <laughs> because the problem with 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 time travel is that you have to get dates and ages right. You can't change like. In Terminator, it's okay to change the future, like, for example, the date of judgment, then you can change that as much as you want, but don't change, don't change things that already happened, because it's like, that already happened in the past. So, that's, right. that's always been the problem with any movie dealing with time travel, and um, as of Terminator, um, if I can just throw this out there, we don't know what type of time travel it is. We don't know if it's back to the future time travel, where you go back and something changes, or if it's, uh, I don't know if you guys ever seen Dragon Ball Z? No. Um, in the anime, um, Dragon Ball Z, where time travel, when you go back in time and you go back to your future, it's still your future, but when you time traveled, you went to an alternate universe for some odd reason. Or other time travels that are just just weird to understand and will give you a big headache. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's what they tend to do, but we, we were saying earlier that that's why the franchise is so great. You know, like even all of the different comic versions and everything, they can jump... Yeah. You know, they can always go back to points before things happened, and then it's never a continuity right. error because you're changing, you know, the present. Exactly. So it leaves a lot of cool well, open-ended stories. Um, I'm not going to get too much into detail with this, but from all the comic books, from all the future spin-offs, all the possible futures from the comics, there are a few things that must happen anyway in Terminator timeline. 
you know, first off is that Judgment Day has to happen. Second after that is that Skynet has to lose in order to send the Terminators back in time. And then when they send the Terminators back in time, Kyle has to go back also so that him and Sarah can hook up. And then from there, after that, you don't know. The last thing that has to happen chronologically is that Skynet loses... But then, you know, John's future is never really clear whether he wins or loses despite what the Terminator said in Terminator 3. Right. If you guys remember, like, in Terminator 3, you know, in, in Terminator 3, the, the new timeline begins where Judgment Day happens, I got my right here, July 25th, 2004, and that you can find it if you have the DVD. It's on the special features. They have a little timeline special feature there. But then, you know, he says that he was sent from 2032, reprogrammed from John's wife, because that same Terminator killed him in the future. But now that John knows that, he might be aware of it and be like, all right, you know what, let me be careful with this guy now. Right. So. Interesting. So one other thing I wanted to have you do for us is, uh, could you go over the models a little bit? Because I know there's also been some... There's been some juggling of like what model or what they call the the Schwarzenegger Terminator. Like he's a 101, but he's a Series 800. There's some different uh, ways to refer to the models. Yeah, that's no, that's actually really easy. Um, the models are the what's on the inside, the endoskeletons. Um, the the robots that you see in um, the robots that you see on uh the beginning of Terminator 2. Sure. Like the skeleton ones. Those are the T800s. Now. The reason why Arnold's called Model 101 is his likeness. It's kind of like the Cylons from uh, Battlestar Galactica. You have number six, number four, number five. Oh, I got you. So the series is what they're actually going to look like externally. Internally. And externally is the model. All right. So externally, Arnold's the 101. And then, like... And internally. Yeah. And obviously, the the liquid metal is a T-1000. But Robert Patrick, he's another model or or whatever. Yeah, but they never really mentioned what model he is. Right. I know. I know that, but... But there could well, it could be anything because he can shapeshift. But of the T800s, there's different, different skin wrappers, if you will, that are the different model numbers. At least there could be. Yeah. Right. Um, one one thing that I like about Salvation is that a lot of things that Kyle Reese said in the first Terminator movie is going to happen. Right, uh, like the example, rubber skin. Yeah, the T600 series, which are the rubber skins, but also an event like he said that they were in jail, and that John Connor broke him out. And there's a scene from the trailer that, you know, he's being chipped away and he's asking him, who are you? And he's like, I'm John Connor. So you can just guess that that might happen. I got more here. Um, there are also, obviously, the T1s were the first Terminators in Terminator 3, the little tank things, the little white tanks. Right, right. The ones the, that are all lined up with the plastic one. on them. Yeah, and then you have the hunter killers, which are like the tanks on the ground and the sky, the sky tanks. Right. Um, the ones that were flying, uh, what else do I have here? The Model 400 and 500 kind of looked like, you know, the T-400s and 500s kind of looked like the, the tanks, but with feet, they were introduced, and I wrote them right here, in the video game Dawn of Fate for PlayStation 2. T-850, the 850 is the one that was shown in Terminator 3, but it's still Model 101, and the only difference with that one is that it has more detailed files, like how to read humans, how to scan them. It's it's more like a scanning thing. It's a little little technical thing. Right. Um. One more right here. They're called. There's a there's a model called the T900, and I think Johnny will like this one. Um. The T900 is. It kind of looks like RoboCop. <laughs> nice. Like it looks. It looks exactly like RoboCop, but with a T800 head. They were. There was one that was shown in Terminator 3 when they were in the factory in the in the government base. 
and there were a couple in the video game redemption, but it's it's more like and in the comic books. And obviously, you guys know the T one thousand is the one that shapeshift. Right. In in the trailer, we um, see these uh, motorcycles. I think they are they they're Terminator motorcycles, right? They're not they're not human yeah. vehicles, are they? Yeah. No, they're called um. I forgot Moto. what they're called actually. I think they're Moto, Moto Terminators or Moto units or something like that. Yeah, actually, yeah. For the art I, of the Terminator Salvation, they are called Moto Terminators. There we go. Right. I, I was just about to reach for that book. I have it over here. <laughs> you have the Harvesters, which are just like these Transformer-looking things that connect people that are going to be in Salvation. Also, there's one model. Um, they're they're called the I nine fifties. They were from the expanded books and the comic books. And the I-950s, what they are is they're humans turned Terminators. What wow. they do is they kidnap the person and they turn them into the Terminator, which my theory might be that Marcus Wright from the commercial might be I I-950 because in the commercial they're like, do you think you're human? And he's like, I'm human. And when he looks down, he starts freaking out. So maybe he is, since he thinks he's human, I think he might be a I I-950. Again, that scene is... One of those things that I should be seeing when I sit down in the theater. <laughs> I should not know that Marcus is a Terminator right now, but the marketing oh, machine it will. Commercial? No, I did several times oh. in many different venues. But yeah, saying, they, should, they should not be showing that to us. Right, right. That should. Yeah, that's one yeah. of those things that would be a great theater moment, but the marketing machine just churns away right now, and they need well, you to see that to sell the movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't see what it adds, though. I don't. I don't see what value we get out of knowing that versus the, you know, the kind of aha moment and seeing it in the theater. That's what's so weird. And the, you know, the first preview they didn't. It almost seemed like that was one of those closely, closely guarded secrets. And then we see the second trailer and they they show it right out there. So I was a little. I don't know. I I I, I agree I with you guys. I was kind of okay with the second trailer. The second trailer didn't reveal a lot. The the third trailer kind of did, which is why I saw it once. I. I'm a big person of not wanting to know what happens in movies. I want to be surprised in movies, but now, like, with the internet and books, everything is so accessible that you go, you watch a movie, and you're not surprised at what happens, you know? So, I mean, to be honest, that's why I haven't even read read The Art of Salvation. I, I got, I flipped through it, and um, I stopped because I saw a couple spoilers that I didn't want to know, and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, we got an interview with the author, Tara Bennett, that uh, Russ and Dan did for us. We're going to be connecting that on to editing that into the show. So uh, definitely awesome. check it out. And I, thanks I a lot. That's a, that's a good score. Hey, yeah. thank you guys. Um, before I go, just want to say, I don't forgot about you, bro. Um, middle of the summer, we're going to be doing RoboCop. Oh, no worries, man. I'm there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I mention one thing about the uh, Terminator Blu-ray? Did anyone pick it up yet? Uh, the, the, yet. The, the new the, the Terminator 2 Blu-ray? Yeah, the new one. The no, no. This, this week, I'm hoping. What, what do you got? Oh, um, I, I got it, though, because I live in New York City and we get everything early. <laughs> nice. Um, and this cool thing is that they have a third version, and I'm, I'm going to give it a... They have two versions. They have the original theatrical version. They have an extended version. The last version, you need to put a code in. And I'll tell you the code. It's really easy. It's um, the current the Judgment Day date, which is August 29th, 1997. That's the code. And what you do for that is... um. It's pretty much the movie, but they have an alternate ending where it was a happy ending and Judgment Day never happened. <laughs> wow. Now, did, you, did you get the version with the $50 Slideshow Collectibles gift certificate or coupon? No, no. All right, well, we're going to get that. <laughs> Best Buy is ah. giving that one away. I guess if you get it on the street, before street date, you don't get the coupon. 
scanned it. I just want, I just wanted it on my PS3. But the cool thing is that I had my um, I had my internet on on my PlayStation 3. I always do. And they have this cool thing that when the DVD starts, it says Skynet is now uploading information. And then you see a Terminator HUD, and you see them locking onto a location. And when they lock onto your location, they, they give you your address and your IP address and your cable service provider, and it says, okay, you know, Skynet locked onto you, and now we're going to terminate you. And then it's just in a menu. It's really cool. <laughs> That's nice. awesome. Um, see, the Xbox is, uh, is product of the resistance, so that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, before I go, I'm sorry. I had some notes on uh, Cameron from Terminator Sour, uh, Terminator Sour Chronicles. Is it okay if I just... Yeah, go ahead, man. Or, I Far away. Ideas? Real quick, they, I, I was doing some information on the Wikipedia, and Cameron's model, they say that her Terminator model is possibly uh, TOK0715. No idea what that means, but just at least there's a model number out there for her because, you know, obviously she eats... She's more human. She has a colored HUD and things of that matter. The reason why I didn't go over the timelines for Terminator Sarah Chronicles is because it obviously doesn't take place during the timeline of Terminator 3 because it takes place like right after 2, but in an alternate timeline, not in movie continuity. But there's a lot of dates in there since they keep doing a lot of time travel. Everything just keeps changing. Like They changed Judgment Day like three times already since the show started. So right. I'll let you know that. Very nice. But, uh, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It really means a lot to me. No and, problem. Uh, you know, keep keep doing a good job on your show, man. Legion Dude always rocks. Also, the half hour with the guys really awesome. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. And, again, everybody check out Comic Tube to hear all of Ziggo's fantastic movie stuff and Brad as well. Brad and Ziggo. Yeah. Hey, before I go, real quick, this is funny. I think I told Ken this. Doesn't Brad remind you of Dale from King of the Hill? <laughs> I told I'll have that. to listen more closely <laughs> You got mad at me <laughs> No, me and Brad argue a lot So don't mind us if anyone listens But uh, Wait, which, which night, Brad? Right? Your Brad or our Brad? Our Brad Oh, okay And our Brad's well, I wasn't talking Texas. about your Brad I was talking about my Brad <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leroy Alright, yeah. man, have a good night Alright, guys Thank you, alright Yep Cool deal He is the go-to guy for Terminator. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so at this point, uh, we get to Terminator 3, which, um, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's some mixed feelings about. I will say that, to start things off, I don't hate it. I think there are some really cool points to it, but I, d- I don't like the trend. You know, we've talked about the tone of of the three movies a lot tonight. So I'm not happy how the trend kind of continued, and, the, and it just got a lighter and lighter. Um, what, was, what, was where, th- what was three rated? R. It was R, okay. Yeah, and I mean, what do you think it was R for, Russ? Like, showing her behind when yeah, she think, shows up naked in the time, you know, it, it, after the time travel? Primarily, because I don't think the language in this one was near. I mean, there was some, but I don't think it was near what it was in the second one or the first one. Now, even the second one, I mean, aside from the, the very brief you know, nudity of Arnold and, and Robert Patrick you know, coming into the past, I don't think the violence was all that severe that it couldn't have gotten away with a PG-13. Yeah, I think if they would have, you know, nowadays it seems like the standard is for PG-13 is you get one F-bomb and that's it. Yeah. So I, I think they probably could have re-engineered that movie two to to do a you know a one f a single f bomb and you mm-hmm. know probably would have 
Well, even if I see, even if I watch, I don't think the violence is at that level. No, even if I watched T two on, like, say, you know, cable TV, you know, not not premium stuff, but like, you know, stuff where it would be, you know, censored or cut. There's not that much really change for it. Yeah. For 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 television audiences like that, so. Um, yeah, I, I bring it. I was going I bring it up because Salvation is gonna. Be, I believe it's gonna be a PG thirteen, and and that doesn't bother me at all. I'm not worried about the, the violence level or anything like, or the like the, the shooting and everything else with it. The only other thing I can think of is that not Arnold, the female, the, the TX Terminator, which is played by Chris Christina Loken. Loken? Christiana Loken. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Christiana Loken. She goes after the the teenagers. You know, she has her list of, like, people that she needs to kill, and they're teenagers. I mean, that's pretty brutal. I mean, she drives into, like, the drive-thru. The kid's working in, like, a McDonald's drive-thru, and she kind of, like, points the gun right at him, you know, point blank in the in the window and shoots him. Then I think she goes to a house and kills, like, a brother and sister. Um, I mean, not that it's graphic, but I think they get into, like, realistic violence, and they're mm-hmm. killing humans. I mean, right. that could that could lead it to... Um, to an R rating. Now, now don't yep. don't feel like you don't have to spoil because this is a spoiler show. But uh, I haven't seen it. Now, are all these kids supposed to be, I guess, future leaders or future members of the rebellion of the exactly. resistance? Okay. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. they're all going to be resistance leaders um, in the future, and she has kind of her hit list to go after. And I guess I'll, I'll point this at Russ because he's seen it. I really like Christiana Loken. I, I thought she was again. I thought she had the Terminator down in terms of facial expression and the kind of the robotic movements and stuff and i thought making it a female model was like a great twist um i don't know how you felt about it russ well her her um performance yeah i mean i think i like the fact that they decided to mix it up yet again you know in the second one they decided to go with the liquid metal you know concept and so this one they they make a female an attractive female to kind of change it up a little bit and kind of throw everybody off. So, the, yeah, that, that part I definitely liked about it, um, and it and it didn't bother me at all. The only, the only, I mean, not to, we'll talk about the good as well, but, you know, the one on the negative side is it just seemed like more of the same for that part of it. You know, they're going to send another Terminator back. They're, they're going to, you know, kill, you know, people, either John Connor or people associated with the resistance. So, again, it was kind of more of that, okay, another Terminator's come back in the past kind of thing. To, to just touch back on the ratings thing, the other thing that seems to be a big deal with the ratings board as far as that whole R-rated threshold is a lot of times violence towards women. You know, they don't, they don't like or, you know, and I don't know if that's changed a little bit, but I know for a while that would get a, a lot of movies R-rated when, when there's violence. I mean, you can know it's a robot, but, you know, for a lot of, you know, because the, the, the models bleed and, you know, and things like that, there's a lot of violence towards women. And I know that's real negative with the radio. Yeah, that would bump it up. That, that would bump it up a bit, it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say uh, you're talking about like you know the same thing sent another Terminator back, et cetera, et cetera. That's one of the things that actually got me interested in wanting to see this new one because it's not that it's going to be you know set in the in the future during the time of the war, which is something that other than the flashback scenes and those bits and pieces we really haven't seen. So I'm really looking forward to that. And and th- I didn't see three for the re- same reasons you just said. It's it's the same thing again. Right. There are a couple things. I mean, John will get to it, but you know, there are a couple of big things that were changes for the third one that I, I thought were pretty bold and worked very well. Yeah, well, I take well the, the first uh, change that we should get to, I guess, is uh, the part of John Connor. Um, they went to Nick Stahl, the actor. Apparently, Mr. Furlow was not asked to 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 rejoin the franchise. I, I think he was having some substance abuse problems or. 
or some things like that going on. So they they changed to Nick Stahl, and I was I was happy enough with it. They kind of start off with him. You know, he's older, obviously. He's living off the grid. You know, he's obviously now a believer of all of this, but he thinks that he has avoided Judgment Day. The the day came and went, as as he says, and he kind of thinks he's off the hook, but. He's playing it safe, and he and he's kind of like an off the grid guy. And they show him like I mean I don't know how he could be like homeless, but they show him kind of like sleeping on the street and working like you know construction jobs for cash and things like that. And he's like sitting on a bridge drinking a beer. I mean I don't <laughs> I, I guess we're supposed to believe that he's completely off the grid with no place to live, no you know no credit cards, no license, no social security number, you know something to that effect, which is something that they picked up in the TV show as well. Um, I didn't. I wouldn't say I, I disliked or liked his performance. It was kind of just there. I mean, I didn't. I didn't think it was terrible. Um, he didn't scream John Connor to me as the age is supposedly closer to when he's going to be this great leader. But it was okay. And playing Kate Brewster is Claire Danes, and Catherine Brewster is kind of a character that you know we'd never heard of before. And she's on the terminator's hit list with john and it turns out the terminator reveals later that they're going to get married and she's going to be very important to the resistance because john will be killed and it's revealed that Catherine is actually the one that sent the terminator back to protect john so that's kind of an interesting twist um in the scheme of things then the whole you know they they some finality finality to the sarah connor character the you know linda hamilton's character is is deceased at that point like we talked about earlier you died of cancer. You know, so they've kind of another thing from the past that they've kind of moved on from in the third movie. Right, right. And a great uh one of the things I do like, one of the, one of the scenes I like is the visit to the um the the Bob visit Lee. to the funeral home, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it and they and the Terminator breaks into Sarah's grave. Uh she's not buried, she's in a, I guess a mausoleum you would call it, and uh he breaks in the wall and pulls out the coffin and there's actually a cache of weapons that she hid in her coffin, you know, knowing that they would one day probably have to use them. Yeah. And um I guess they make an attempt here again as the as the tone lightens, you know, for for each movie, you know, to keep it marketable. They they start they start getting into the, you know, can this Terminator care for john you know can it be his friend he's, he's becoming more social definitely he's cracking jokes which i think is just more to make to have some comedy elements than to say anything about the model itself some great action scenes again and we get a look at uh we get a look at skynet well th- they think they're going to skynet but the terminator is actually leading them to like an underground bunker where they can be during judgment day and be safe which is kind of interesting, and they and they end up in this whole underground place, and there's a staging area for the president, so he can give you know in an emergency he would be able to give uh, you know an address, um, and there's a whole network of communication set up, and uh, you actually hear Judgment Day get underway while you know they're they're underground, and we kind of learn that everything that they've done to this point hasn't changed anything you know they're they're pretty sure they stopped it before this point and then judgment day begins so it's it's kind of a slap in the face and the, and the message that you know this is going to happen either way no matter what they try to change and send whoever back in the past and kill whoever and, and destroy any of the you know machinery it's still going to happen like i said before whatever yeah, happened think- happened that's just the way it's always going to be 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I really appreciated with the third one, because at least at the end of the third one, you go, okay, this is the point of no return. They're not going to be, if there is another one or two or three or whatever, it's not going to be another send a robot into the past to kill, you know, X person. It's going to be where we are at, you know, we are beyond judgment. Yeah, we're all in. It's the war. Let's, we got to do it. We got to fight it. Yep. And so that's what I thought was pretty bold. Because, I mean, even, I was pretty sure that's how it was going to end, but there's still that part of you, you know, when the, when the, when the characters are going to that bunker where you think they're going to be able to stop it, you know, maybe they're going to, you know, once again, be able to, to stop it. And part of me was like, no, I think they're really going to do it this time. And, you know, sure enough, at the end, when you see all the bombs going off, it was just like, okay, they, they, they pushed it to that point. So I yeah, appreciated I, that. Yeah, I definitely appreciated that. And, uh, you know, Ziggo just touched on it a little bit. I really appreciated the other nods when Kate Brewster's father, who is, I guess, the general, and he's actually the one that activates Skynet, and they think they're, they're doing it to repair a virus, and then once they activate Skynet, it kind of takes over the entire internet and gets everything started. And they're actually working on the first Hunter Killer, and it's kind yeah, of like floating, right, it's floating in the yeah. background um, as they're deciding whether or not to activate Skynet, which is awesome. And then again, the, the T1s that Ziggo was talking about, when they head down into the basement, there's just like rows and rows of these, uh, of these kind of mobile Terminator early versions. Kind of reminded me of like the Star Wars prequels when all the droids are lined up. You know, the, uh, I guess they're the Trade Federation droids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's just all these early Terminator models. And it, and it, was, really, it, was, it was a really good ending. And I think it saved the movie for the most part. I mean, I definitely, yeah. I, I definitely, you know, when I rewatched it, it was like fun. It was an action movie. It's definitely not giving you the Terminator feel. But that ending and, you know, the nods that they gave you and, and putting it in the right direction with Judgment Day happening, I think, I mean, it saved it for me. Yeah. And it's probably one of the, to get a little behind the scenes on it, the scene, there's a scene in there with a, with a, uh, truck with a crane on it and it kind of goes downtown and creates all this havoc and takes out a building and does all this craziness. That was a scene that was going to get cut for budget when they were filming and Schwarzenegger put up a million bucks of his own cash to make it to, to, to do it. Yeah, I remember that story. Because he yeah. really, yeah, he really wanted that scene in the movie and they were going to cut it. And so he said he put up a million bucks, you know, cash money to, to make sure it did happen. So I thought that was pretty cool of, of Arnie to, you know, to really show that much investment and interest in, you know, wanting to make a good quality flick. And I think if that action scene had been cut, it would have really fell flat because I think, you know, that was kind of a high, a high moment action scene wise in, in that movie. And to, to not have that in there would have, would have hurt it. Yeah. That was some, that was some scene. I mean, it was like ridiculous, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of daylight in this movie too. You know, we didn't really, I mean, there were a couple scenes in the beginning in T2 you know, at the mall and then in the, uh, I guess, the sewer lanes or the or the bayou, you know, scene with the truck and the motorcycle. But pretty much everything else was at night or, you know, indoors. And I guess a lot of that has to do with soundstage shooting or whatnot. But this one had a lot of daylight, you know, daytime action sequences and, and just scenes in general to it. So I think that, you know, and again, I think that helps, hurts it in a way because it makes it, again, like you're saying, John, it didn't feel like a Terminator movie like the other two. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that always stood out to me. Right. And it, it had a $200 million budget. It earned $150 million in the States, but it did gross $433 million worldwide. 
So it was a financial success. Um, it was a little short of its predecessor. I mean, I guess they were hoping for more, but it didn't lose money by any stretch of the imagination. What else can I say? I did like, I did like the way that the, the TX model in this movie, it was like the 1000, but it was advanced in terms of she had the like liquid metal capability, but she was able to like fabricate these you know, weapons with moving parts and she makes like a buzzsaw to cut through the roof of the car. And, you know, it was like, it it wasn't totally out of the blue because there was a precedent for that type of model, but she was like the next level, which, which I thought was cool. Again, I I had no problem with the, with the Terminator itself, you know, for the, for the most part, I I enjoyed it. it. It definitely was a change of pace for the Terminator movies. And probably it's good that it's the last one for Arnold. But I mean, all in all, I wasn't I wasn't upset with it. I guess that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so now we're going to uh, before we get into our hopes and dreams for Terminator Salvation. Um, Russ and Dan were lucky enough to sit down with Tara Bennett, who's the author um, of the Art of Terminator Salvation book and the movie Companion, uh, both by Titan Books. They were good enough to get us copies and set up an interview with Tara. So we're going to let you guys have a listen to that now, and we'll be right back. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Dan from the Legion of Dudes, and we've got Russ here with us. Hi, everybody. Tonight, we're going to interview Tara Bennett, who is the author of Terminator Salvation, Art of the Film Book, and the Movie Companion. Hey, Tara, how's it going? Hey, guys. Thanks very, very much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Thanks for being on. To start off, um, tell us a little bit about what you've done with the Terminator books. Sure, yeah. Um, Well, there's two books. I I got commissioned to do an art of the film book, and and that one's really for the kind of, you know, the people that are really into the aesthetic and the design of a film. um, It's primarily, it's a coffee table book, really nice, thick one, so lots of great images on a really nice paper stock. And uh, what I did with that, it's a little less text-heavy, and it's got a, a nice opening where I talk with uh, Martin Lang, who's the production designer on Terminator Salvation. And he's basically the guy that just came up with the overall look for the film. Obviously, Terminator Salvation takes place after the nuclear devastation, so it's post-apocalyptic, which means it's very, very different in terms of its look from the other three films. All of those were contemporary, so, you know, they were based in Los Angeles in modern times. This is all taking place in a pretty devastated southwest United States, Los Angeles, um, the deserts outside. And so it's just got this whole cleaned-out look to it. And it's really, um, really just beautiful in terms of what he's chosen to do. And the the book really highlights all of his design ideas. So he works in um, Photoshop and in some other digital digital software. And he actually gave us the original files so that we could reproduce them in the book. And um, it's all of his work along with his other storyboard artists and his other um, design designers for basically a timeline of the whole film. So from the beginning um, of the film all the way to the very end, there are images that represent that, the way the film looks, and then also there's all of the very cool designs that they did for the Terminators themselves and the new iterations of the of the Terminators. So the Moto Terminators and the Hydrobots and the um, a lot of the other machines that they've developed specifically for this film. And so if you're like a tech geek or a design geek, that's the book for you. 
And then the second one is the um, companion guide, which is um, kind of like, you know, the DVD features you get on a, on a DVD in book form. So it's all interviews with McGee, the director, with 99% of the cast, except for Christian Bale, and um, um, the Sean Hurlbert, the, the, the director of photography that was um, 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 yeah, uh, receiving end of Mr. Bale's anger. Um, and then um, also uh, a lot of the other people, like Stan Winston Studio, who has been with the franchise from the very, very beginning, creating the endoskeleton that's you know become so iconic. They talk about um, Stan losing Stan. Um, he died, of course, in pre-production of the movie. But John Rosengrant, who is, was basically he was his apprentice, and Stan was his mentor, and he, um, you know, stayed on the film and made sure that it was up to the specifications of what Stan wanted. So all of that good stuff and all of my hands-on interviews with all of those people comprised the second book. Yeah, they're both incredible books. I mean, insanely detailed, and the art of the film book is massive. How do you go about getting everything together for a book like that? Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very happy. Titan did a beautiful job with the books. You know, sometimes, I mean, I, I've done a couple book series, and, you know, some of them are kind of just media tie-in books, which, while they look great, you know, they're smaller, and they're, you know, kind of stick them on your bookshelf. But they Titan really went all out on the art book and really made it, like, one of those very cool, um, you know, kind of den and coffee table books where you can, you know, really leave it out there, and it looks beautiful and like a piece of art and it was massive um i i went out to albuquerque um which is where they shot the movie last year and um went and talked to martin lang in his office and they had a whole area set up where they had all of the concept art either up on easels or up in his computer and so we just had a huge conversation about what were the most important designs for him in the film and then they provided us all of that material. So I, I knew in my head what was most important to discuss and to highlight in the book based on what he considered to be the key pieces in terms of, you know, kind of really showing the aesthetic of explaining what McGee wanted in, with his vision and then how he interpreted that through his design. And, um, and then, you know, they really just gave us carte blanche. So um, we knew how we wanted to break it up, obviously. You know, you want some of the design images um, blocked together. You want some of the storyboards that lay out some of the key um, big sequences, action sequences in the movie. And then, of course, you want all of the design work for the robots and for the characters and the machinery and such. So we kind of broke it up into those major ideas, and then we just had a lot of fun going through it all and deciding, you know, what would people want to see if you're a fan, because we're fans too, and what looked best and what showed, like, a very cool um, kind of timeline of how things changed because a lot of fans you know uh, there was much to be said in the media about you know if the harvester looks too much like a transformer and martin actually talked about it and he and mcg were like yeah we don't want it to look like a terminator i mean a, a transformer and so they show how it it went away from the design of it looking like a transformer and really became something of its own um, that really matched the mythology of the movie. So um, yeah, that was that was something that really stood out for me in the book. Kind of reading that whole process of you know just seeing the visuals of like how many iterations it had to go through. Yeah, it's huge. They just you know it's you you kind of think oh well you know they must just kind of come up with it and stick with it. But it's just like anything you know if you're a writer if you're a you know, and our, you know, you're working on a deck in your backyard. You know, there's a lot of thought and a lot of like, well, what's going to be best? And you know, they really just kind of labored and made sure that you know everything was distinctive, that there wasn't anything that was going to be derivative of something else. You know, they had this really great opportunity to finally place the movie in a time frame that we haven't seen before, that we've had little glimpses of in the prior three movies, but nothing where we've been able to kind of like 
swim in it and really just kind of see what this world looked like, you know, what, what Skynet had done to the world. So they didn't want to do something that was going to junk it up either. So they really put a lot of time and effort. And I think it's cool, um, you know, if you're a, a fan of, of film, to be able to really see like, oh, okay, this is where they shied away from something that looked familiar, and this is how they took it into a new direction. So just in looking at the at the book, and you're listed as, as the author, so how much, other than writing, I mean, were you very involved with, how the book was put together, what the finished product was going to look like, you know, how what the page count ultimately, you know, came out to be on both books. How how involved, I guess, were you in the in the non-writing portion of the book and, and pulling that together? Well, my editors at Titan are great. They're great people, and they're really always been very collaborative with me, which which is really nice because a lot of times, you know, as an author, you you you're just told a word count and you're told here turn this in, and they've always been really. They know that I'm the one that's going out there and that's talking to everybody. And then, you know, they also hired me because I'm a big nerd <laughs> when it comes to this <laughs> mythology. I love the Terminator. And so, you know, they wanted someone that was going to, you know, also be looking at the book from a fan's perspective um, outside of themselves, too. I would say for the art book, we knew that they knew that they wanted to make it a really comprehensive um, coffee table book. So it's definitely, like you said, it's not thin. It's a very thick one with lots of pages. So they knew that they had a page count that they wanted to hit to make um, make it worth your while as a fan. If you know you're going to spend 25 bucks on a book, it better you know be worth it. So they, they came up with a, a, a numeric count. The first, the, the art book um, obviously is, is less text heavy. So with that one, we all kind of decided, you know, what would what would be the best word count to really tell Martin and McGee's story in terms of what the design development was for the film. And then we decided that, you know, rather than it being a book where you feel like you have to, you know, read it to really understand the movie, we really wanted it to be a book where the visuals spoke for themselves. And so um, we went through... And I um, looked at places where I recommended that we definitely explain or I had some really good quotes or some copy from, from either McGee or someone on the production team um, and the design team that would explain something really interesting about an image or about um, an evolution of design. And then I would, I would put those text blocks in. And, and that was pretty much my say in terms of, you know, what I recommended would match best with images. Um, and my editor really, you know, kind of let me say, hey, look through all of these images and then figure out where you think text would be best. And here's some places we'd like you to put stuff. But if it doesn't work, let us know and we'll put something somewhere else. And then for the uh, companion guide, they were really, um, they really wanted me to recommend the sections that should happen in the movie, uh, and it should happen in the book from the movie. And so I recommended all the sections. Um, I recommended based on the interviews that I got, based on me as a fan, what I'd want to know about the movie. And then they stuck with it, which was really nice. I mean, they said, okay, if you think that's best, then that's what we're going to go with. And, um, you know, some areas, you know, the only regret you have with a book, you know, everybody's so used to the Internet where, you know, you get information immediately. But with a book, we have long lead times because we had to send it out to China to get printed. So I really had until the first or second week of February to get everything in. And, you know, they're not even done with the movie yet. So, um, you know, we had to just make sure that we were getting in the last ounce of actual information that we could with details. And, and then also, you know, Warner Brothers didn't want us to spill everything. You know, they don't want you to buy a book four weeks before a movie comes out and, like, learn what happens in the end. You know, as a fan, you know, you want to be able to, like, know how they did the exact end sequence in terms of visual effects, but Warner Brothers like, well, no. <laughs> so we had to cut a little bit of the detail that I would have liked to have had just as a fan myself, and, you know, that's one of the uh, 
that's one of the rules of playing in the in the in the field of a big monster blockbuster movie is that you know you kind of have to defer to the big company that's doing the marketing. So, um, but but otherwise, we pretty much were able to put in. I was able to you know kind of steer the course of that book um, in the way that I wanted to. So that was nice. Well, that's cool because it, it it's almost like being in or a movie itself where you contribute so much to it and put so much into it. And then when you finally see the final product, it's, it's, you know, it sounds like based on what you're saying there, there's a little bit of a surprise to it when it finally comes back to you that, you know, you're able to see something that, you know, you may not have saw, you know, as you were, as you were working into it. So that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're a hundred percent right. I mean, the day that I got the art book in, cause that was the first one that was printed. I was like giddy. I was like a, a complete dork. I was like, Oh my God, look how pretty it is. You know? Cause it was, I, I know it from looking at my monitor screen and flipping through a PDF. But when you get that physical book in your hand and you really see how it was reproduced, it is, it's like being able to finally see all the pieces of the puzzle put together. And it's pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. That's kind definitely. Of- it's, it's, it's a, it's a, they're both very good. I mean, like you're saying about the, um, the art of book, I love those coffee table books. I'm a big film, film geek myself. I love the kind of behind the scenes and the development process and, you know, what are, how things got refined and where they started from. So this is, this is really cool. There's, there's okay. quite a few areas where you really see, like you were mentioning, the refining process is, you know, the, the moto terminators that they, they show in there, you really see how, you know, where it started and where it ended up. And there's a lot of animatic kind of stuff behind it. So it's really, really cool. And then the, yeah. uh, I'm glad you like it. It's always important for me, for a fellow fan, like movie geek to, you know, say, okay, we hit the right points because <laughs> I know what I like to read. And it's always nice to hear someone else's, you know, what, what they like to read is, you know, in line with, with what we produce. So that's cool. Oh yeah. I know the day the day we got them, we were you know John and Russ and myself were kind of emailing each other back and forth like, oh my god, this book is awesome. You know that was kind of you know it was kind of like the the theme of the day was like, holy crap, look at this book we got we just got. Awesome. Yeah, mine's proudly on my coffee table. I kind of and I like how, like you were saying before, you kind of you know the art of book. I kind of flip through, just kind of looking at like all the stuff that's in it, and when I want to when I see something that kind of pops out to me, you know, the explanation of it is right there. So it's not something that I really read linearly, you know, it's like from cover to cover. I just kind of like when something hits me, then you can kind of delve into it a little bit deeper, you know? And yeah, well that's, that's what I was kind of, you know, when I look at an art book, I'd rather have someone's beautiful images kind of really tell the story. And um, you know, another thing is, you know, I, I know I'm like this. When I go see, you know, I'll try to stay kind of, you know, for certain movies, I'll try to stay as spoiler-free as possible, you know, kind of like get myself off the grid so I'm not too surprised by, you know, spoiled by something before I go in. And then I love going afterwards, either looking at the book of how it was made or going online if there's a, a great blog by the filmmaker or something, and then just let all that stuff sink in so that I can see, well, how did they do that and how did they make that? You know, because for me, that's fascinating. Some people don't like to be, you know, kind of have the, the bubble of, of the magic broken, but for me, I love that. So, you know, I'm, I'd rather, um, you know, I'd rather be able to go back and then look up something and then see the text that explains it later on and not feel like it's overwhelming me when I'm trying to look at it the first time, so... I'm glad. I'm glad you guys approve. Thank you. So, in as far as the filming goes, I, I I saw that you know you definitely had access to the set and the film and the directors. Did you? How much? How much access did you have to the set? Did you get to see any of the the cool practical effects as they were kind of as they were doing any of that stuff, or you know was yeah. was your access sort of limited? 
No, they were wonderful. I mean, you know, once they're on board, usually with a property where they say we want to make something official, um, I, I'm in a very lucky position of, of being able to have kind of carte blanche while I'm there. So I went out for a couple of days. Um, it was it was quick um, because, you know, they were getting towards the end of filming. Um, so I went out and, um, like I said, I did um, in-house interviews um, where they set up shop. Um, the show is was called Project Angel based on something that uh, happens in the film, and that's kind of what their code word was for the movie. So Project Angel and all of their, their set and offices were out there, and so I did a lot of jumping from department to department, doing interviews, going into the costume racks and going into Martin's, you know, concept room and all of that kind of good stuff. And then they took me out on the set and um, they weren't shooting on the sound stages in Albuquerque Studios, which fun fact, if you, if you like um, the TV show Breaking Bad, that, that was shot right there as well. They kind of shared the stages with that show and then also with Terminator. Uh, about a mile and a half, two miles away from where their offices were, there was an old power plant, um, uh, just one that had been left and and into disarray and disrepair, and they took it over and rented it and then um, made it look even worse, which is pretty cool. They went inside and they had all these trailers outside of it, and you know you knew there was something going on, but they, it didn't really give give away anything. But once you walked inside. It was like the bowels of hell in there. It was awesome. They had actually brought in Italian painters to kind of create this awful, decayed, crackle effect so that all the steel girders looked like, you know, they were just years of, of soot and oil and grease from the Terminator machines um, just on everything. They had these huge fire cannon barrels that they'd shoot flame up into the air, and you'd walk by it, and it was just you felt the heat, like, you know, kind of like singeing a little on your arm. And that was for the background, so it looked like, you know, the, the mechanics of the of the steel forges were going. And then they had um, built, um, you know, kind of a two-story kind of um, – it's, it's very similar to, like, what we've seen in the other movies, just in terms of, you know, how there's always that kind of climactic battle inside of a factory. Um, they had kind of – kind of harkened back to that idea, but this was Skynet in the future, um, and it was their Terminator factory. And so they had this fantastic assembly line of, like, these kind of hooks and these these endoskeletons just hanging off of each one of them. And, you know, we're going down into this, like, ad finitum kind of long line of where, you know, all of these awful monsters were going to, you know, come off the line and, you know, go after humans. And then there was a table with all the silver skulls with the red eyes and it was just it was like a huge nerdy geek moment for me I was like oh this is so great <laughs> and and so I got to watch them um do a shot where um they were kind of putting together a kind of um practical shots with Christian as John Connor and he was um kind of gearing up for a battle and they were using some of the puppetry that they've created, which sounds kind of odd, puppetry, but they had to create um, a half endoskeleton, which they could operate for placement in terms of where, um, if they were going to use a CG endoskeleton or if they were going to use a partial skeleton that was practical on this puppet, and then they do a wide shot with something wider that was CGI. They use that in the camera so they get their framing. And so, you know, kind of Christian Bale is kind of talking rough to, like, you know, puppet endoskeleton as they're setting up the shot. And uh, and that was pretty cool. And then he did, like, a kind of this flip over a um, um, over the side of, of this deck. And, you know, he did the stunts himself. You know, they rigged him up. Tom Struthers is the stunt coordinator on the movie, and he did The Dark Knight. And he had worked with, with Christian on that film. And so they, he knows that Christian likes to do as much as he possibly can that the insurance companies will let him do. So it was kind of fun to see how, you know, he just, 
you know, jumps off the side of a, of a second story perch and goes down and is totally comfortable with it. So it was, it was nice. That was a very cool day where I got to really see them, you know, kind of putting together, um, you know, a major scene that was going to build in the last act of the film. Do you need an assistant? <laughs> like someone to hold your coffee that, or something? I get that offer a lot. Pencil holders, luggage carriers. I totally appreciate how cool. I know. I wish I could. I mean, I, I have a long line of people I would I would definitely nominate to come with me, but I appreciate every moment that uh, I know when I'm sitting there, I like totally pinch myself and go, dude, you're standing here in the Terminator factory. Just love your life. Don't complain about anything ever, ever again. <laughs> <laughs> now, we touched on Sam Winston earlier, which is, I mean, an incredible studio, you know, I yeah. mean, aliens, predator, Terminator, Iron Man, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, did you get to visit Sam Winston studios at all? No, I, I didn't. But what they ended up having with John Rosengrant, who was, uh, again, the man that took over, um, who was, you know, worked with Stan, even from the very first Terminator film, that was actually his first job, was working with Stan on that Terminator film. So he'd been through all of them, and he knew exactly, you know, what Stan wanted. And he um, had the Stan Winston Studio truck there. And so basically he was um, in charge of coordinating for a lot of the um, animatronics and a lot of the... um, um, also the makeup coordination because, you know, their, their work works very much in tandem with what makeup does because they have to either create some endoskeleton and then have some humans, you know, makeup over that or they, they really have to work in tandem. So he coordinated all of that with his crew and they actually had a trailer there, which was very, very cool. And they brought me into it and they, you know, had the whole, one of the whole endoskeletons and there was a guy sitting on the back lane, you know, like, like kind of laboriously putting together one that had been like blown apart in a scene a couple of minutes before, you know, so he's like insert gear one and, you know, putting it back together again. And they showed me a Hydrobot that they had in the truck that is used in in one of the sequences in there, an aquatic Terminator um, that's pretty, pretty gruesome. And um, he showed me, you know, how they they put it together and how um, everything works, you know, functionally. It's not, you know, it's not something where you go like, oh, well, you know, physically, you know, they just make it work with CGI. I mean, Sam Winston's team are a bunch of engineers, and they make all of that stuff work with all of the all of the mechanics, and it's, you know, it's all the real deal. So that was pretty amazing. It's like, you know, kind of having these really creative scientists just know exactly how to make all this stuff as true life as possible. And they did a lot of their work right there on the scene. Um, they brought that truck to all the locations where they were working on the endoskeletons or had the T-600s, which were the kind of interim early version of the T-800s, which were, they talked about one of the films is that they were kind of the, kind of like the dumpy kind of like half look like getting towards looking more human, but they hadn't quite gotten it yet. So they still kind of had this non-human kind of gait to them. And they show they, you know, people, humans could pick them out really easily. And that's a, a big um, Terminator in this movie. And so they had that there and I got to kind of see the skin that they kind of put on it. And so uh, that was very, very, that was a great moment because I've been a, a big fan of Stan Winston for a really long time to just, so just to see his people work on the material was, was just like awesome. It was stunning. Did you get to walk away with anything neat, like a Terminator skull or anything to set on your I desk? I totally wanted to steal. You do, oh, I so wanted to steal so badly, but um, you know, I I kind of valued me being hired to write the books. But man, it was very tempting. Even like you know, like a Terminator gear or something. I totally wanted to like scope it and drop it in the in the bag, but it didn't it didn't happen. But uh, um, they did give me. Um, 
they gave me the scripts, which, you know, that's a pretty cool walk away. And I have those the whole time. Oh, wow. um, you know, once I got there, they sent me one before I got there. And then um, they gave me another one while I was there. And then they sent me, I think, two to three others as I was progressing and writing the book because, you know, they're going through revisions and, and there are changes that they're making as they're shooting. And so in order for me to write the book um, with authenticity, I, I had to know what they were doing. And, uh, you know, I had to sign my life away. You know, they, they could send a Terminator to my house and murder me if my big fat <laughs> mouth opened in any kind of way. So that was a little scary. And that was new in terms of, you know, the, um, the, big, the big amount of zeros behind if I opened my mouth. So... I was very, I was a good girl and had all of that stuff locked away. No one could see it and I didn't talk about anything. But, um, you know, that, that was really neat because, you know, in that process, you know, you guys know uh, how secretive they are about all that kind of stuff and non-leaking. And so to be trusted with that was a pretty good souvenir for, for, the, for the whole tour of it. So mm-hmm. That's why yeah, I would have your job for about five minutes. Because I would like, I, I would be beelining it off the set with a shopping cart full of stuff. <laughs> it is so tempting, I will tell you. It is probably one of the hardest things to do. You just kind of looking at them, going, "Something you want? You know, it's okay. I'll take it for you." <laughs> Unfortunately, they never take me up on the. They never take me up on the sad puppy dog eyes. You know, they're just like, "Go, Tara, leave. You can't take anything with you." <laughs> or you look around and see forty skulls laying around and go, "Do you really need all 40? I know you hear, the, you, you hear the Simpsons yoink in your head, you know, as you walk right by it, you tell it, and you're like, hmm, but yeah, it, it does, it does. I'm, I'm behaved so that hopefully more work comes down the line and they trust me. So yeah, it's very hard oh, to yeah. behave though. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> well, now, do you have any uh, big projects kind of coming down the pipeline? Um, well, you know, these, these two books, they, I, I worked on them from August until February, and then now I'm kind of, you know, in the promotion um, scale of it. So um, that'll probably take me for the next, you know, two, two, about two and, a, two and a half more weeks. Um, and then, um, you know, I've got, I, I do a lot of writing for Titan in their magazine division um, for Heroes, and I'm, I'm co-lead writer of their Lost magazine. So I'm going to be heading out to Hawaii again for um, the finale for the final year of Lost, and um, I got the privilege of being um, uh, allowed to go out there um, to Oahu last summer, and I'll do that again um, for the last time. I'm a big Lost fan, so that'll be really sad to head out there, and um, I'll I'll be out on the Hero set um, in June um, for some stories for that magazine, and then um, my big big business trip of the year is always... um, San Diego Comic-Con, which is, you know, like my nerd business trip of the year. So um, I never know what's going to come out of that. I've actually gotten book deals out of that. I did the art of uh, 300, um, and that came out of just some networking I did while there. So um, I'm hoping something comes down the pike book-wise for the last quarter of the year. Um, The exciting thing about my job is that I never know what's going to come around the pike. I I get a little sad sometimes. I go, okay, well, this book's done. What's going to happen next? And then all of a sudden, boom, something lands on my lap, and it's like, there's my next six months, and I'm excited and thrilled, and it's just like you can't kind of plan for what happens with my career, but it's been uh, very cool, and I appreciate everything that comes down the pike, that's for sure. Well, that's good news on Lost that you'll be able to get down there for that. We've, uh, on our site, we've actually done some web-exclusive stuff um, after the 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 last the previous season on Lost, we we get together every Wednesday night after the show airs and we do a little twenty, thirty minute audio blog and just kinda of talk about our impressions and what we think yeah. and stuff like that. So so maybe maybe down the road we might be able to have you back and uh and I would and, love uh, to come back. I love to talk ben, about Lost and we're running out of time, only seventeen left. So yeah, exactly. I, I would love to 
Love to be love to chat about that. What did you guys think of the finale? I loved it. I I was Good. just blown away. It was we won't spoil it, but uh but that last thirty seconds or so it was just kinda like they did not just do that. They I know. did not I, just do that. And I know. Uh, so now I'm just like, you know, biting my fingernails and sitting on my hands for um you know, almost another year until 2010 when uh, when the show comes back on. I know. That that's the brutal period for all of us that are real big fans of the show is where we get to sit in radio silence so until basically Comic-Con. That's only when that's when Carlton and Damon come out, you know, for the first time and talk again about the show again. And then, you know, from then on, we just kind of have to go, oh, man, come on, January. So, yeah, it's 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 the brutal time, but um, and it's going to be – Twice as twice as exciting and and sad because this will be you know well this will be the last time we get to do that so yeah and J J Abrams is just he's just on fire lately between Fringe and Lost and Star Trek he just he can't do wrong it, you know he just he just can't do any wrong I know yeah. he's magic I I worked with the Bad Robot guys um, since Alias when we used to do an Alias magazine and so I'm hoping um, you know that maybe Fringe will now that that's settled maybe we might end up doing a property with that and um, which is great because uh, that show really has taken off and done uh, I've enjoyed it a lot more as it kind of finally got into its mythology and. And I think I'm the only, I'm a very, I'm, a, I'm almost, a, people are ready to revoke my geek cred because I have not seen Star Trek yet, and I'm desperately trying oh, to find time to, to do it. I know, and it's certainly not because I don't want to, and I've been really, because last weekend was Mother's Day, this weekend I was in um, D.C. for Night at the Museum, they did the premiere of that, and I was working on that, and I, I'm just desperately trying to find time to go see it, so, um, so I, I, everybody says that it's like the greatest thing, and it's you know, fantastic movie, so I'm very excited to see what he did. Well, and that. even uh, Anton Yeltsin, who's uh, yes. Kyle, is in it. Yeah, that guy's getting like two weekends in a row. He's in like I the know. super blockbusters. It's got to be great. He's like what twenty? I know. He's really <laughs> young, and he's he's really solid, and he's going to have a great year with these two movies. And I think also um, Sam Worthington, who uh, plays Marcus Wright, who is um, the kind of mysterious kind of. Hide. Well, it, you know, you kind of, you've seen in the trailers, and I don't want to say too much, but you kind of see that he's not quite 100% human, and we don't know exactly how that, that it gets explained, but he's got this movie, and he's fantastic. Uh, I saw a half an hour of the movie in January, and just meeting him and talking to him and then being able to see him act, uh, he's just, I think he's going to be one of those, those, those people like Anton where people are like, well, who's this guy? And, you know, one of those movies where you really feel like you've seen somebody and discovered them for the first time. Yeah. Um, not unlike like you, Jackman, with, you know, when he played Wolverine for the first time and those kinds of things. And then he's got James Cameron's Avatar, which is coming out later this year. And that's, yeah. he actually did that movie first, but that's going to be a, a huge game changer um, with 3D. And so he's going to have one hell of a year, too. Yeah, yeah. Good to, good to hear. So, yeah. uh, Dan, unless you have anything else, I guess, to, to wrap up so we don't take too much of your, more of your time, you, what what else, um, where can people find you? You know, where, did you have, do you have any websites you want to shout out to? Or, um, yeah, sure. You know, you, uh, well, I mean, I do a lot of, um, you know, I do a lot of work for Sci-Fi Wire, so that's SciFiWire.com. Um, I'm, I'm actually starting up slowly. Um, my own stuff on the web, because, you know, the worst part about, um, well, the great thing about working and being busy is, you know, that you are always doing something, but I'm really kind of bad about getting my stuff all organized into one place. But um, I've, I'm starting up a Tumblr site, which is um, T-U-M-B-L-R, and then it's um, Tara Bennett. 
and that'll be a link for all of the stories that I'm going to have um, that as soon as I post them, like a sci-fi wire or if I'm doing something for another website, it'll be there. And, uh, and print-wise, you know, if you go to your local bookstore and you see um, the entertainment section and the magazines, there's Lost Magazine, which comes out every two months, and I'm lead writer for that, and Heroes Magazine, and I write for SFX Magazine, and Sci-Fi Magazine, and Geek Monthly. So if there's something nerdy, I'm, I'm in it. <laughs> Right up, truly right up the coolest hours. job in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thanks, you know, for spending the time with us. It's been really cool talking to you. And uh, it's been fantastic talking to you guys. It's always great to have fellow fellow fans. That, you know, I'm sitting in my office all the time. You know, kind of typing away. But it's always great to share stories and like loves and and other nerdy connections with others. So um, I thank you for, you know, giving me time to talk about the books and and put it out there. So thank you much, very much for that. No problem. And thanks to Catherine over at Titan for, um, you know, for getting us in in contact with you. She's, uh, she's, she's throwing a couple things our way. So we always appreciate her, her kindness. Yeah. She's doing a great job. And, um, and definitely we'll, uh, we'll definitely send you an email link when the show goes up and so you Thank can you. kind of check it out and listen. And, uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able to get you on to, to talk about some more nerdy stuff. Awesome. I would love it. And you guys have a really great summer. Hopefully it's a good summer season for you in terms of movies and all that good stuff. And we'll get together and talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. Sounds great. Take care guys. Have a good evening. Thank you. All right. You too. Thank you. All right. So that was the interview. Um, I just again wanted to thank Tara Bennett for, uh, taking her time and sitting down with me and Dan over the phone and doing that interview. It was a lot of fun. Her enthusiasm was just awesome. I think me and you know, Dan and I both just really picked up on that. And she kept mentioning again and again, as you guys heard, you know, geeking out at this moment and geeking out at that moment. And, you know, we couldn't get her to, um, to steal us anything off the set or, you know, send us anything or anything like that. <laughs> but, uh, but she also does a lot of stuff with Lost. So I think it was cool. Hopefully we'll be able to get her on in the future for some of our audio blog stuff. If we do, we'll, we'll definitely let you know. Um, again, I can't recommend these books enough, especially The uh, Art of Terminator Salvation. It's just an awesome coffee table book that, that has a lot of cool stuff in it. And really, there isn't a lot of uh, spoiler stuff in it. I mean, most of the stuff is, is either things that we've seen on the trailer or things that have been out there. So there's not, like I said, there's not a whole lot of you know, really big spoiler moment stuff in there at all. So again, uh, thank you to them. Thank you to Catherine over at Titan Books for helping set, set that up with us. And then, yeah, you know, if I some other... Jump- if I could just jump in for a second, I mean, Catherine was Catherine was great. I mean, I I didn't even think of asking for an interview. I was I was looking for any promotional stuff, uh, previews that she could send, just so we could kind of cover the books and talk about them a little bit. And Catherine sent us like copies of all the books, and she was the one that suggested that we interview Tara, and you know, set me up with how to contact her and everything, and and that was just great. So thanks again to Titan Books and and everybody. Absolutely. And we'll definitely have links up on the site, too, um, where you can find Tara Bennett, links over to Titan. Uh, we'll probably have some Amazon links for all of you interested in picking up the book. There's also the prequel adaptation from Timothy Zahn, which I'm looking forward to diving in and reading that. Um, anything Timothy Zahn is, is good stuff. As most of you know, he wrote the original Thrawn trilogy for the Star Wars that really got the Star Wars franchise rebooted. Um, not rebooted, but restarted again in the, in the very early 90s after we've had, we had kind of a drought and then wrote up some follow-up books um, since then. And then Alan Dean Foster is actually writing the actual um, novelization of, of the movie itself. So, Yeah, I'm in the middle of the Zahn prequel. It's great. I mean, I'm having a real hard time when I have to put it down right now, and I'm, I'm kind of reading it in like little bits every chance I get. 
And um, it, it seems to be, without spoiling anything, it, it starts a few years after Judgment Day, or maybe a year or more after Judgment Day, and, and John Connor is not the leader yet that I'm expecting to see in Salvation. Maybe he's not even the leader yet in Salvation. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But he's kind of working his way up the ranks and gaining respect, and you get to meet a lot of the people that I'm sure we're going to get to see in the movie. And um, it seems like a really good setup. I'm looking forward to finishing it, but definitely... You know, for a, for a little paperback price, if you're a fan of the material, definitely check it out. Okay, so let's get into the Sarah Connor Chronicles next, which is a TV show that's been running on Fox. Uh, the second season just finished up. I guess we're in limbo as to whether there's going to be a third season or not, um, which I can't even imagine. With, with the hype of this new movie, apparently a trilogy coming out, I don't know why they would stop the momentum of having this TV show, but Fox is Fox, I guess. I mean... Who knows? But um, now is Fox the production company of the movies as well, or are they sharing with somebody else? Hmm. The only reason I ask, the only reason, reason I ask, I could see them not wanting to continue the series only because they don't want to step on all over each other's continuity, assuming that the two do mesh. Yeah, I think. Well, Warner Brothers has the the rights to the property, and I think Warner Brothers as actually producing the show on Fox, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Okay, okay. So the, so the production company, the one making the show, is the same. It's the same as the movie and the show, it sounds like? Fox I is just... I believe so, because, it's just a because Kaptar and, and Vajna are the producers of the TV show, and they've produced all the movies. Okay. And I think they're, they're executive producers on Salvation as well, if I'm not mistaken. I, say, I have not watched any of this, because when I first heard about it, I'm I am a, I'm a Smallville fan, but all of the first season of Smallville was pretty much uh, nine hundred two one zero on Kryptonite. And my fear for this show, from what little I saw bef- before it came out, was it's going to be Terminator nine hundred two one zero. And no, I've heard since then it's not that. I, I, I believe you guys can probably confirm that it's not in fact that. But I never got into it otherwise. Well, I'll jump in for the first season. I'm not caught up on the second season. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Russ handle that. But I was really blown away by the pilot i got a chance to see the pilot like really early you know one of those things that just falls off a truck around here or whatever and you know i was really blown away by the pilot again like i got to see the pilot before the promos for the show were even out so there were twists in the pilot that everybody will know about before the show aired because of the marketing like we said you know they're going to show summer glow her her persona in the movie with a totally she's in half in the in the promo so you can see all of her cyborg parts hanging out so you know automatically that she's a terminator but watching the pilot ahead of time i didn't know that and there's some great twists as to who the terminators are right in the beginning and i felt that it got i felt the pilot was great i thought it started off a little bit weakly after the pilot but i felt like every show improved and by the end of the first season, I was mad that I wasn't caught up because I'll now have to wait for the second season DVD to, to do that. I mean, I could watch it on the Internet and stuff, but I'm just not going to. So I'm really, I was really happy with the television show. Yeah, I got to see the, the pilot at Comic-Con in 07. So it was, that was in July of 07, and the show, I think, aired finally in March of 08. So I got to see it. Me and a buddy of mine um, got to see it pretty early and then, you know, got to attend the interviews with the cast and stuff afterward. So that was pretty cool. 
were pretty jazzed up about it because there were so many nods to the to the other TV shows in it. You know, the whole you know a lot of the liner you know the one liners that they they reuse again and and some of the other stuff. So it, I was pretty impressed with the pilot. And then you know kind of, I kind of echo what John said. You know, watching the show, um, I watched it as it was on, and then I continued to watch through season two, um, and and was pretty impressed with it and you know i think it just you know like everything else last year suffered from the writer's strike so it was, we only got 10 episodes of the show um as opposed to i think i think they you know would originally commission 13 or 14 so the the actual finale was not intended to be the finale of season one but they just kind of made it into the finale of season one but yeah definitely it's not the you know i i, I hear what ken saying where you talk about the uh, kind of the freak of the week or the terminator of the week, you know, syndrome, which they easily could have gotten into where every week or every other week, it turns into another, you know, catastrophe, another robot or another challenge from the future. That's come back to tax them, which it hasn't. The, the big, really there's a huge twist at the end of, of the pilot episode that just, again, when we talk about the timeline, it just totally throws a, a wrench into the works by jumping forward. You know, I, I, I I think at this point it, it may not be a you know a spoiler so much, but you know something happens and the crew jumps ahead you know several years, so you know beyond even what was considered Judgment Day in the third movie. So I think continuity-wise, this show more follows what happened in Terminator 2, and they don't really touch on much that happens in three at all, other than like I mentioned earlier about the whole cancer thing. Um, and season two really, really gets good. They bring in the character of Derek Reese, who's Kyle Reese's brother, and, and they kind of keep it from John for a while as to knowing or, or keeping it from the whole secret of who he is and, and, and um, John knowing who he is. They kind of keep that going. Yeah, I've um, met, I've met added, him in season one, but I don't think they told John who it is yet. But Derek yeah, Reese no. shows up one. Yeah, they do. You know, that, that comes out later on. And, yes, definitely. And there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of other stuff that happens in season two. I won't... I won't to get too much into it would really spoil it and, and, you know, without it coming out on DVD, the show just somewhat recently ended, so I won't get into too much. But one of the cool things that they, they really touch upon in the second season, and this isn't really a spoiler, I guess it is technically, but it's not really that big of a deal. Um, it helps people that may be a little apprehensive about the show, I think, grasp onto it a little more, is there are several characters that have traveled from different points in time to what is what is their present, what is our, you know, I think it's it's actually set in our present. So we're right at 2008, you know, 2009 right now. And one of the, a couple of the characters have a conversation where one of them asks the other when their judgment day was. And he, he says when his judgment day was, and then the other character says when their judgment day is. So you're getting the sense that every time somebody comes back and does something, it affects what happens in their, in their perceived future. So characters know each other in the future, but things that, that one of them thinks happened to the other didn't really happen in their timeline. So it's, it's, real, it's getting real sticky as far mm-hmm. as what's going on, which makes it kind of interesting because, it, again, it kind of reinforces with the movies how you know, Judgment Day seems to keep being somewhat of a moving target mm-hmm. and, and how things can change. It, so it sounds it, like it meshes in. It, was a, I was saying, it sounds like it meshes in with... Um, with Lynn ha- Hamilton's monologue at the end of Terminator 2, she's talking about like the multi-lane highway and that like time is more like that, where it's it yeah. can go any kind of direction, and that's really kind of playing off of that. It sounds like where it's it's not so much like I've been saying with Lost, what happened happened. It's that it's going to happen. Yeah, the deets may change. It's it's a lot of it's it's more like alternate universe theory than anything else. There's there's like a multiverse. Yeah. 
yeah, it's it's yeah. Like I said, you know, one of the characters knows the other character. They're both from the future. They're both in currently in the present, and she's talking about something that happened to this character in the future, mm-hmm. and he doesn't remember it. So for her, it happened to him, but for him, it didn't happen to him. Right. And again, it's because time every lines. time somebody comes, yeah, every time somebody comes back, you know, things change. So they really play that up, and there's some really the finale to season two is superb. I mean, it is really really good. Mm-hmm. It'll make it. I'm I'm really jazzed up for I'm hoping they they renew it for season three because I think it's going to take it in a very very strange direction um, and like I said I can't even begin to talk about the finale without spoiling it. Let me, really, really let me ask you this I'm not going to have time to do this but let's say I wanted to catch up on anything Terminator has been put on film before I saw Salvation. Obviously I'll watch you know Terminator Terminator Two. Would I want to watch all of Sarah Connor and then Terminator Three, or not worry about Three? Like, like we talked before, does it count? Does it not count? Ziggo sounds like it doesn't count. You guys are saying um, it does count. Like, how how would, how would I want to watch it? I would watch Three because of the ending of Three. Okay. I don't think now. I haven't seen the second season of the show, so I should probably shut my mouth. But as we all know, it's not one of my strong points. So I I would say you could skip the show. It's kind of a separate, a separate entity, but you'll get a kick out of all the nods in the show. But the end of three, I think, is kind of important. Would you, would you agree with that, Russ, or would you skip three and tell them to watch the show? No, no, no. I would tell them watch the sh- watch three and skip the show. Okay. Because I really think the, the approach they're taking with the show is Terminator 1 happened, Terminator 2 happened, Terminator 3 and anything beyond is not a part of this reality okay i uh so i'll take it kind of like uh almost like i would take highlander you know the movie they're based on the same thing but the movies are separate from the tv show nothing ever happened past highlander one in the tv show movies (laughs) two three and four and five never happened (laughs) (laughs) one thing that's that i found interesting about the show is um if, if you watch the pilot and again, like their whole timing with the writer's strike and everything was all screwed up. And then I guess after the pilot, they decide on some changes that need to be made or whatever. Uh, but the, the Terminator character, you know, Summer Glau, um, Cameron is, is her name. She's like totally undetectable in the pilot. Like she's a regular high school girl that's like pretending to flirt with John in school to like get close to him. And then when the show, like, when the regular show kicks off weekly, she's totally that robotic, like, blank stare Terminator that we've seen in all the movies. So I guess they kind of were playing with how they should go about, you know, her. Um, There's some real, real creepy interactions between the Cameron character and the John Connor character in the second season. And some of her, the way she's starting to, I guess, think, if that's the right term for it, is real uh, is real strange, um, right? But but you know an interesting twist. Yeah, I like this this one scene in uh, it must be season one because I haven't seen two, and they're kind of like, I don't know, they're in like one of their safe houses that they set up, and uh, and I don't know, they're doing whatever, and I, and I guess Cameron is facing away from the camera, obviously because it's network TV, and she doesn't have any clothes on. And uh, yeah, yeah. And Sarah Connor walks in, and she's like, "Put a shirt on, <laughs> you know, like you can't just walk around." I, I like that. That's kind of that's my kind of humor. Yeah, and there's a lot of nods. You know, they they go back to the Dysons in in the show. Um, yep. You know, uh, Miles Dyson's Miles Dyson's widow and her and their son. 
So that comes back as, as a player in the show. Yep, they and, go back you know, to the psychologists. Of, yeah, 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 the psychologists. There's a lot of stuff like that that's, uh, that's played back in the, in the show. Like I said, it, it almost seems like one, two in the show are one continuity and one, two, three, and then I'm, I'm assuming Salvation are, are another con- continuity. And that's, that's kind of my take. But, yeah, I really think season two amped it up, and the, the, especially the second half. The second half of season two is like it's just a, a roller coaster, and it's just it's really really good. Yeah, I was hoping. Um, I guess it was cutting it too close, being that the show just ended pretty recently. But I was hoping that they'd kind of time the season two DVD with this movie coming out. Um, but I guess it'll it'll be a few more months or or whatever. I haven't seen it advertised anywhere, or it's not coming up on any of the calendars for releases for DVD. So. Yeah, my guess it'll probably coincide with the movie DVD release, depending on when the show comes back. If it's a, my guess is probably it'll match last year where the show, if it comes back, will be a January return and not a September. But we'll see. Okay, so maybe we'll um, we'll wrap this up with some thoughts on Salvation and and what we've seen so far on the different trailers and, um, you know, I know you guys uh, or Russ has gotten a look at the art of books and, and things like that. I mean, what are you guys thinking so far? I know there's talk about it being PG-13, and some people were disappointed. Um, I'm okay with it. I can't – I got to tell you, if this movie stinks, whoever's cutting their trailers deserves a big freaking raise because <laughs> these trailers have been awesome to me. And and I'm like I'm really jazzed for for where this is headed. I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm not worried about the the rating I said before. Like I, I don't think killing robots and shooting a robot in the head from point blank range while he's trapped under the 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 rail of a helicopter. I think that's that's fine. I I just want to see I want to see a little bit more of that uh, the, the future. I want to see that part of the world be developed, in which clearly we're going to. I'm um, looking forward to seeing some of these more of these characters that we've talked about, you know, like Kyle Reese, and you know, seeing them get move move forward into how they became what we who we met back in Terminator One, and and I want to see the scene at the end of the credits where uh, Christian Bale yells at one of the, uh, the members <laughs> of the crew, <laughs> maybe on the DVD. Yeah. So, speaking of which, I mean, how awesome is it that Christian Bale jumped onto this franchise? I mean, that almost, like, legitimizes it right off the bat. Yeah, I was really surprised, you know, for him to jump onto another, you know, committed franchise. You know, he's still, I guess, technically committed to one more Batman flick. Yeah. And, and then that's kind of a genre deal to begin with. And then for him to jump on the Terminator thing, knowing it's probably going to be a three, you know, picture deal minimum, um, I thought was pretty gutsy and, you know, uh, pretty cool. I mean, he's, work, he's working hard. I mean, he's got two movies this this summer. He's got this one, and he's got the uh, Johnny Depp Public Enemies later in the later in the summer. Oh, yeah. So he's he's yeah. definitely working. He's uh, he's getting some checks, and he's stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. <laughs> but you know, originally, I think the the plan for this was his care. He he was supposed to be a small player, like the John Connor character was supposed to be a a. You know, almost um, known or whatever, or somebody else. You know, a, a a very small part. And then when when Christian Bale came onto it, he was the one that, from what I understand, what I read, he wanted the role expanded and to be kind of the primary on the on the movie. I can't how um, I, I can't imagine how you'd make the Terminator movie without John in this in this era without John Connor being the focus. I don't know. Unless they were thinking like in terms of continuity, like. 
you know, not having the actor, not having any of the previous actors to be him. You know, you know, maybe they uh, or if they felt they couldn't fa- find the right guy, then maybe they could make him like a background yeah. figure. I or mean, maybe I guess that like he's not going to be just because he they know who he is the, from the future that he's going to be the leader leader of the resistance. I, I can't believe that it's not going to take some time to build up to that. So I can see this movie being more of the build up to him becoming the leader, leader of the resistance. In fact, that one scene we keep seeing through all the trailers where he's you know, talking on the radio saying, if you can hear the sound of my voice, you are the resistance. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the end of the movie, if that's the final scene or near the, near the end of the movie. Right. Well, the trailers also show some other authority figure who John is pleading with to not go ahead with the order. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and this guy is going ahead with the order. So it just kind of shows you you know, that he's not in charge at this point. And like I said, in the prequel novel, he's definitely in the ranks. He's not the leader of the resistance yet. So maybe by the prequel novel, he'll, he will be. But, you know, I could see it heading right. in that direction. So, like, what I'm going to guess from what I know, what Lira is talking about, how they went back in time after Skynet fell. John was the, the leader of the resistance at that point. He's the one who led them to that major victory of Skynet, Skynet being defeated in the future. Right, and I mean, this this, this is this movie is going to be another step to that end. Right, I can see that. I'll tell you one. Yeah. <laughs> this is a uh, uh, pretty amazing thing. One of the, one script that was pretty much done, and but I know that it has been changed. Was uh, they were going to end this movie with John Connor being a, being a Terminator? <laughs> so, yeah. so that was like that was something that went through the mill. And I guess it would have led to great speculation was, you know, was the John Connor we were watching this movie really him? You know, is he captured somewhere or right, is he just a skin job or scroll or whatever? Right, right. See, right. Yet, yet the back of my head, I always wondered that, too. I was like, man, maybe they'll be bold and do something like that. You know, yeah, where we find out Connor's a, uh, a Terminator or, you know, or something like or that. Or whatever, whatever Marcus yeah. is, like that kind of thing where he thinks he's human. and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this kind of, you know, th- this type of story is told in a million places, like Battlestar Galactica, you know, like Secret Invasion. You know, it's great not knowing who the enemy is, and especially when they're sleepers, and any of the heroes could end up just being, you know, people that don't know what they are. I mean, that may be why they're showing us, Marcus, in the trails like we were talking earlier. It's because, like, yeah, this is it, but the reveal is who else is. Right. Or what exactly he is. I'm not t- totally convinced that he's... You never do see um, whatever is in his chest. You don't really do see that. Yeah. Yeah. Although the toy you kind of I, do. You, one, of the, <laughs> one, one of the interesting things I see from the trailer is he says, my mother, I forget what the exact quote is, but basically, my, you know, my mother told me stories that, you know, this has happened, but something's different. Something's changed. Mm-hmm. So right. Right. They're, they're, set, they're, they're planting the seed that this isn't going to go as exactly as we've seen it in the past um, movies or, you know, the way that we think it is. So well, something's, yeah, something's going on that that's changed. Oh, well, I mean, that that can go right back to Terminator 2 as soon as they, they end when she's saying, like, you know, I for the first time I don't know what's going to happen or however it was put. That Anything could happen. I mean, so I, I, it definitely could be different from the way she was told by Kyle to begin with. But yeah, it, it sounds yeah. like it's be something significantly different. Because every time I'm seeing those those scenes with Marcus where he's saying, like, you know, I've never seen something like this before. I'm just waiting for John to say, I have. Because he has. He's seen Arnold in the yeah. past. Right. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys yeah. think of the... 
I know there's been a lot of almost he is, he isn't, but that they're using Arnold's face and going to digitally superimpose him on some of the models. I just want to see him on a shelf, like in in a lab or something, like where they're prepping him or something. That's all I want to see. Yeah, yeah. I'm to me, I I think it's going to be hard pressed for him not to appear in some shape or form in a Terminator movie. I think that's just one of the staples, and we're always going to see it. Yeah, I I, I mean, I think it should be. Yeah, I I imagine I imagine like a production facility or something where there's like a roll of them, (laughs) you know, just. You know, I'm not expecting any kind of like CGI acting or anything like that, or like you know his face mapped onto some other Terminator. I just want to just see him like to see him there. Yeah, even the yeah. head on a shelf. That's you it. Know, that's what I'm saying. Like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Definitely cool. All right. Well, anything else? I'm good. No, just looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, really. Like we said, Bob, by the time this is published, this is actually going to be out on on release day. It comes out on Thursday. Yeah, right. 21st, yeah. Yep. Which means I'm seeing it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going Sunday. <laughs> okay, so thanks, everybody, for joining us. Once again, please check out legionofdudes.com. Check out some of the audio blogs and um, regular blogs and, and video and whatever other hijinks we might be up to on the site. Let me just throw out a plug for Tool to Grow Up because this coming Tuesday will be our movie review. We're going to see the movie. We're going to get Ziggo on the phone again, and we're going to talk about the movie now that we've seen it. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely be checking in for that. We, I'm, I'm anticipating an audio blog by us after the movie comes out. Probably. Um, I'm sure by the end of the week of that weekend, um, everybody will have seen it and we'll, we'll want to put something together. Please check out Half Hour Wasted on the website as well if you're not already. Leave comments at comments at legionofdudes.com. Voicemails, once again, go to 516-468-7912. Call anytime. Uh, thanks again to Titan Books, uh, Catherine and Tara Bennett for the great interview and uh, you know the review copies of the books and great stuff. And, and again, check out the website soon. We're gonna we're gonna have reviews written as well for all of these uh, for all these books, and we're gonna throw up links with places where you can get them and uh, and Titan Books links and, and and great stuff like that. So guys, thanks a lot for uh, indulging me. I love the movie stuff. I'm a Terminator guy, so this was a big one for me. And uh, we'll see you real soon. Good night. So long.